Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star starting May 15th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, 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 it's another episode of the Gangsta Chronicles podcast, and I am big still with my dog. Yeah. Hey, you know I just heard fresh off the presses, man. Your boy Tyler Perry don't mess around and bought BET. Mm. He could have checked. That's a big bag. I don't know how much he bought it for. Two billion. Uh, Two billion? Two billion. Plus. Mm. And that voice you hear in the background that came in, we got a special guest today. Is the homeboy Alonzo. Y'all notice over the past few weeks, you know, we, we had um, a little bit of dialogue. Yeah, just a little bit. Just a little bit of dialogue. But we, still wel- we still welcome our peoples to the show, man. So, you know, y'all give it up for Lonzo. Yeah, because Yes, indeed. How much you think he paid for Alonzo? I was like, right, right around two billion, Doc. Right around, I heard all the whole conversation on the way over here. On two billion? Too big, right about too big. What is that sound, man? What you got over there? Alarms going yeah, off and shit. Fuck, I try to turn this goddamn watch off. I turn my phone off. The goddamn watch still. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm not fancy. I don't have no. I ain't never. Had I ain't no talking one. to someone like Dick Tracy and shit. Yeah, you. That's like my son, man. My son is with all that technology and shit. I'm. I'm still spinning my shit back and shit. <laughs> one thing about these phone companies, they stay with some accessories and shit to charge the motherfucker. My wife hit me one day. Said, "Oh, they got the Apple Watch on sale. Can you give me one?" I said, "What's the Apple Watch?" 
I guess she be on her phone, yeah. her watch. Yeah, they sometimes. like fucking like what's the yeah. old school Dick Tracy, yeah, man. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, That's what I'm saying. Like Dick Tracy, like a motherfucker. Right. Get smart on a motherfucker around yeah, here. Nigga, pull off his shoe and start talking to <laughs> <over> with. <laughs> yeah, so shit. So we, Tyler Perry, huh? Yeah, Tyler Perry bought it, man. I wonder what you go see because it seemed like you know. I applaud, man, any brother, man, that has built what he built because I first heard when my mama was still living in Cleveland, that's the first time I heard of Tyler Perry. She had a bunch of VHS tapes with these plays he was doing on there. And my and I saw her, my auntie, and even my wife, they was all captivated by that mm. shit. Mm. And I said, man, this dude got something going. So just seeing a brother come from where he come from, being homeless, to right. owning a major network now. Right. You know, it's crazy, man. Whether you like his movies or not, you know what I mean? You still got to applaud it, brother. Yeah, because I'm not a fan of the movies. You know what? I'm a, I'm a fan of the struggle and the hustle and the come up. And, you know, he came from, you know, what, living in his car and all that shit. Mm -hmm. So the the climb is, is a, you know, I applaud him on, on his success. But I'm not a fan of the I've never really sat down and watched a Tyler Perry movie. Now, I, 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 I'm a little different. I like his movies. If you want to get high and have a good-ass laugh, watch his movies. But I can't watch his TV shows. Okay. I cannot watch. So I tried to. There's a difference between the big difference. Two. Okay. I think they get they, they like pornos. Like, here go the scenario. Just make up some shit as you go. Because you're one it's character all, take to, forever to say some shit. Well, the thing is, if you've seen one, you kind of seen them all. kind of seen them all. you kind of seen them all because it's the same narrative. It's a... Black woman on there that's mad about something. Either her oh, man don't cheated on her or something. It's a villainous ass ex boyfriend, and it's a simp mm. that come in and say the day they wind up getting into a fight with the dude. And they want they always in a small ass town somewhere. And they probably gonna let you slide at the end of the goddamn movie. So do you feel his movies make us look fucked up as the black man? <clears throat> he got some movies that make, that does make us look fucked up. But now I noticed when he plays in the movies himself, not as Medea. Like that one movie he did, he was, it was a good solid movie. I forgot the name of it. It was uh, he saved he ended up marrying this chick that was homeless with a daughter and shit. That was a good uh, damn. I, uh, anyway, yeah, he got he got some movies on both sides of the fence. Keep it in one hundred. That's that movie called man. God damn, Alex Alex something man. Are you a fan? Alex you know Cross, what? thank you. Alex Cross. I'm a fan of him as a person, his struggle and stuff. The movies is cool. I, you know, I ain't mad at the movies. I watch them. Some, like you said, when you sitting up smoking a joint or something and you just chilling, they cool to watch because my wife like them motherfuckers. So she she watch them and usually I wind up watching. We all wind up watching what our women like to watch. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because I don't be arguing. I, I, don't, I don't like to watch. I don't like to watch what, my, what the woman like to watch. You don't watch TV with your girl? No. See you a cold nigga. No, man. I don't know how you get away with that. Watch that's you. why we got. That's why it's. That's why it's bedrooms with TVs, because usually I'm in the other room watching what I want to watch. I don't want to watch some Lifetime program or you know some some. The women be watching some crazy shit, man. So yeah, I, I stick to my sports or ESPN or some news shit. I don't watch no fucking. Where they gonna be turning around looking at you weird and shit after the program go off and shit? Yeah, well, fuck that shit. Let me make Why sure you don't we do me like that. <laughs> let me make sure we we reporting on things accurately. This is what they said. There's been a lot of speculation about who would eventually purchase the BET brand from Paramount Global. It appears billionaire filmmaker studio owner Tyler Perry is the front runner to be BET's next owner. 
Over the last several months, multiple individuals have expressed interest in buying BET. Hip-hop artists, moguls, Diddy and 50 Cent were named as potential buyers. A new report from the streamer claims Perry would take control of BET Media for an undisclosed amount. Perry previously signed a multi-year joint venture between Tyler Perry Studios and BET Streaming Service. BET Productions. Hold on, my thing just cut out. But anyway, he's buying it, man. You know, 53 years old, man, this man went from being homeless to buying a major, a major, major piece of um, black intellectual property. And I, and I think it's dope that we keep him the black, man. I applaud that, brother, man. You know, I don't think he's the greatest filmmaker in the world. He's got a lot better. Right. But I applaud it, dog. This dude owned his own studios in Atlanta. That place is impressive as hell. Right. I and heard. he's doing this motherfucking thing. He's definitely a trailblazer. As were you, Lonzo, because I know you you like playing with that NWA acronym. Not without Lonzo. Not Lonzo. <laughs> yes, indeed. Not without <laughs> Lonzo. Lonzo said, wouldn't nobody NWA? CMW? CMW. Mm -hmm. You just said CMW. I did say CMW. CMW, NWA, CIA, and a bunch of other initials and littles and lokes and shit. Wouldn't be here. Wouldn't be doing what they're doing. So you had a That's whole why I came down today, man. He came down with the Alonzo said he wasn't having it. He said, not without Lonzo. Not no. without Lonzo. A lot of niggas came through uh, Lonzo's presence as far as, you know, uh, that that door as far as getting a, uh, they, um, what I want to say, uh, getting a shot into the music biz because there was not a lot of fucking West Coast artists here before you know, Lonzo, the Wrecking Crew, and shit, I couldn't even name nobody before then, if you ask me. Tiny T was for me. Tiny T came out right. We came up real close I listened together. to Todd because, you know, Todd was from my neighborhood. He was from Tragnew. Okay. So Todd had TDK tapes. That's right. where I knew Todd from. I knew Wrecking Crew from Surgery, the 12-inch. Mm. That's where I got introduced to the Wrecking Crew. But... As far as records, all I knew was y'all. As far as putting out records, were you Egypt? Right. Unknown had uh, techno hop. Right. He was putting out, you know, bass records and the first fucking uh, Ice T records. Right. Then you had fucking Dream Team and 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 Rockberry Jam and all of that. So that shit right there. With all because we were all dance promoters, all DJs. The whole era, the, the whole generation was totally different back then. All we did was gave dances and chase chicks. That's all we did. So we that's, made why records. Moved, that's why your music kind of was. That's why we was. Women. That's why we had Jerry curls. That's why we had them suits on. We trying to get laid and have some fun. <laughs> okay. Let me ask you one. It's just one thing I want to know, bro. What was up with the, that air with all the, oh, oh, We got that shit from Tour de France, man. That shit was the hottest shit in the club at the time, man. Look at craft work. All our, me, Wrecking Crew, Egypt. That's why I say Lover. a lot of our shit was uh, dance, yeah. dance records. Wrecking Crew, Egyptian Lover, fucking uh, out of New York, um, um, uh, Soul Sonic Force. That was the shit. That and vocoders, Okay. The mechanical shit. That's all. That was a. That was the, the the musical sound. That was like. That was like our fucking version of goddamn um, auto tune. Okay, 
It was like mm-hmm. that. That was that was our shit for that era. Okay, mm-hmm. everybody has something they do different in every era. And for the dance, for the dance uh, sets at that time, everybody was breathing on their records. Okay, if nigga had asthma, he couldn't make a motherfucking record. Okay, that's what a damn sure sound like. A nigga in the background just. <sighs> and see, <sighs> and we got this shit from like we got it from Kraftwerk. Listen to Kraftwerk. So when did you notice? As like you said, that was your era. When did you feel and notice that hip hop, so to speak, started changing? Hip hop started changing for for us around eighty seven, eighty six, eighty seven. Um, because we started in eighty two. I started in eighty two, but West Coast hip hop started changing around eighty six, eighty seven. Because we may turn off the lights. That was around the same year that uh, Dranium, Dranium left right after Turn Off the Lights and formed NWA. And you, y'all came up right behind them. So it was like the late 80s. And Ice-T had already done his thing. But even then, it hadn't, it hadn't officially changed over completely because we still was doing dances and shit. It was like we was, we was in that curve. We, you know, with that mix, you know, it's still, niggas still dancing. But they, everybody just started banging. They still dancing, but they started banging. And all of a sudden, they stopped dancing and started banging. It's, the whole thing just changed completely. And even when we were going on tour, <coughs> when I first started going on tour, all we played with was R&B, R&B groups. All, it was Wrecking Crew, um, Wrecking Crew, fucking uh, Mary Jane Girls, Morris Day in the Time, shit like that. Then, around the second or third year, we started seeing Force MDs and other acts like that. Okay, because even though, even the West Coast, even the East Coast acts were doing more like an R and B thing. You had the Force MDs, and even Cole Modi, even though he was a rapper, his music was R was R and B music type. Okay, mm-hmm. so by the time my last tour with NWA, I never forget. It was NWA, Easy E, Just Ice, uh, and Ice T, and World Class Record Group. We the headliner. Cause turn off the lights is the hottest record of all this shit, right? Easy them just starting up. They we just broke up, but Dre and Yellow them is with Easy them, and we on tour with all these gangsters. So I'm like Jerry. I'm telling because Jerry Heller was my manager. I'm like, dude, how are we on this? This ain't gonna work for us. Now we had the biggest song. Wasn't nobody checking for Easy and them like that just yet. They was only getting minimum wage, fifteen hundred dollars now. I'm getting seven eight grand. Mm-hmm. Okay, Ice T still he still. Was Ice T? Oh, he always been Ice T. He getting a little bit, little, probably got probably get the same money as I am. But because I had the biggest record, I was considered a draw at that time. But they had all these gangster acts on the show, and that's when the whole thing changed for us. Because now you can't get laid after the show no more. You got to fight. Oh, so the whole the goddamn thing changed, huh? It was a lot of bullshit in the tour. Oh, I was bullshit then. By that <laughs> time, I picked up Battle Cat, Richie Rich, and Mona Lisa to do Turn Off the Lights. So Battle Cat was a young 19-year-old kid straight out of the 60s rolling with me on tour for the first time. That's what I was going to say. Who did you get to replace Dre and Yella? Uh, Battle Cat was replacing Dre. Richie Rich, he, he was with the Dream Team for a minute. And, and uh, Mona Lisa, who sang Lovers in the first time, uh, that's who the song was written for in the first place, ended up doing the, uh, the song that uh, Michelle A's parts. Is that right? So, Mich- so when Dre left, Michelle A bounced too? Yeah. Michelle was never part of the Wrecking Crew. She was just like a feature, a work for hire type situation. She was, 
You know, I watched her movie. I think I called you because I was at home watching her B. I think her right. movie was on BET. It was and one of them uh, Lifetime movies. Yeah, one of them Lifetime. Yeah, yeah. I a lot saw of crying on and shit. And all <laughs> that. Yeah, they had right. you in yeah. that motherfucker. I said, they got the homie up in here. I need to ask them, is this shit true? Man, you that found was, her in the store. Of all the shits, man, that was probably the biggest lie I ever told. <laughs> of all the shit I've ever done, niggas have lied on me in all kind of ways. They lied on me and Jesus all the time. And they lied on me more than they did Jesus, okay? <laughs> and now she did work at a store, but I was not walking through no goddamn store looking for a pair of socks. I didn't wear fucking socks, man. I just showed y'all that for the goddamn, I didn't even wear socks that much. So... They um, then they had me smoking cigarettes, pacing outside the studio, waiting for her to get off the bus. Man, that's some bullshit. Anybody know any woman that worked with me gonna get a ride to and from the goddamn studio? And they had it like you was intervening in um, her and Dre's um, little issues. I ain't get, I ain't, dude, when they started fucking around, I didn't know they was fucking around. Mm. I didn't know they was fucking around until after they left. Wow, whole different situation, Doc. So, so let me ask you this, Lonzo. Um, Dre had met her through y'all interactions up yeah. in the studio. Yeah. Okay, so cool. I thought that might have been his chick or something like that. I mean, dude, dude. Miss Chalet was like 18. She, she just graduated high school. And uh, she would come to the studio, hang out sometime. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. 
I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, A military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. She didn't hang out with with the fellas all the time. She just, sometimes she'd go on the pad, kick it with Rose and uh, Dina. Mm-hmm. He was there. Yeah. Yeah, Rose then would be around the pad. Would you hear that? Yeah, Rose, because Rose, yeah, that's right. You had Tanya, that's right. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I forgot about that shit. <laughs> Shut up, Lonzo. <laughs> he don't know. I, I tell you, nigga, I know all the goddamn dirt, okay? Now he's going to be, he fixes his hat now, see? I didn't hit a nerve. <laughs> Anyway, uh, she was kicking in the pad a lot of times, and usually get, I'd get up, either me or one of the fellas would get up and take her home. Mm-hmm. I had no idea her and Dre had any kind of interaction. So you never saw none of this. Um, I like to be careful on what you say. <laughs> yeah, because I'll be telling you about what you be giving yeah, questions. I, I, I don't want to become that, that type of messy-ass podcaster, you know what I mean, putting out shit, you know, but... Yeah, because we always got to keep his ass off of certain shit. You know what I'm so, saying? Because he likes to, you know, walk that thin line sometimes. The alleged, the, the alleged abuse that was going on at the time, you never saw Never saw that. it. Never saw none of that. Never okay. saw it. Never saw it. That was it. something because I know these movies have a tendency. That's that lifetime shit, man. Yeah, you got to be a tearjerker you know I mean? and shit, man. Come well, on. Yeah, remember also, 
at that time, excuse me, I know why I'm coughing. At that time, at my house, nobody drank stuff for slipping them. I didn't see I didn't see no eight ball till the nigga showed up. Yeah. So the gangsta niggas come, come with eight ball and all kind of shit, okay? Yeah. Drain them didn't drink. They didn't we didn't even smoke weed or nothing. These youngsters brought all the bad habits to my house. Yeah, we, so what, we came with the gangster shit. Was it a it shock was, to you when you saw Dre make that transition into doing the type of music he was doing? Yeah. I mean, the music was always good, okay? Yeah, Dre is but a bad motherfucker. I, I just was like, I knew all the guys personally. They never came off to me like that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. These guys were, it came at to me cool, but they was I knew the, I knew where they were from. They was different. They, I, I, I never saw them... Do anything, but they had a different vibe about them. I watched Dre. I knew Dre. I knew Cube. I knew Yella. I knew that. I knew their vibe was totally different. So it, it kind of blew me away. And they they can do what? Okay, cool. If y'all buy it, they sell it, and y'all buy it. Get a receipt and go home. That's it right there. Now let me ask you this, and this is about the business part because. You were signed to Techno Pop, right? Techno Hop. Techno Hop. You was you were signed to Techno Hop. Yeah. Was it standard practice back then because he wasn't signed, CMW wasn't signed to you outside of the one project, but it can almost be misconstrued as exploitation kind of because they took, you know, like Unknown took Ace Publishing. Now, that right there, I can't speak on simply because when I did a compilation album, my, my one of my things was to try and get everybody a deal. Mm-hmm. On that first compilation, 8 got picked up. PG-13 got picked up. Vanilla C got picked up. What happened to the um, What happened to West Coast distributors? Man, we went broke. <laughs> we went fucking broke. Because that was the plan. That was the plan. Yeah. Okay, we, the, uh, the company, <coughs> West, Coast, West Coast Record Distributors was the first company owned by artists. Me. Rudy from the Dream Team, mm-hmm. Unknown, and Egypt. It was my idea. I put all these cats together. We drove down to San Diego to the NARM Convention, National Association of Record Merchandisers, cut a deal with the labels. Would they buy from us? They said, yeah, if y'all do it, we'll buy from you. We shot back to L.A., went to Rainbow Records in Santa Monica, talked to Steve. Say, Steve, we leave them a cola. We, gonna, we got people that said they'll buy from us. Will you press our records? He said, yes. How much are you going to charge us? He going to charge you the regular? I said, you going to charge us the regular price? He said, yeah. We need a line of credit. He gave me, Egypt, Rudy, and Unknown $25,000 line of credit, not a piece of paperwork in the motherfucking room. Hundred grand credit, li- credit line for, for Rainbow Records. Not a piece of paper, just based on our selling ability. My first project was CMW. We had, I'd been there about man, about six, eight months. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. First project was Compton, Compton, Compton Compilation. Compilation. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'd been there about six, eight months. And what we did not know is that one of our partners was buying shit and getting advances on. Because back then, in the, in the independent uh, record situation, you could go to the distributor. Hey, look, I'm, I got a new project coming out. I need advance on my product. Okay. But because we were a distributor, they took it against the, the distribution company and not that particular label. Mm. So whoever's product came out, they just got their money from that. Y'all got to figure it out for yourselves. Okay. I See what I'm saying? Uh-huh. We're going to charge it. We're going to charge this $10,000 or $20,000 to the fucking distribution company. So 
when y'all come out, when, instead of y'all getting, when, 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 when we build the shit, we're going to get our 20 grand back. I don't care whose product it is. So when right. it came down to it, eight, uh, the compilation was the next project coming through. So it got caught up in their shit. So now I got to, actually, I got to go to the Egyptian Lover and, hey man, y'all owe me 80 grand. We sold like, shit, like, I think like 10, 15,000 copies like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it, we, that, we were selling CDs. We was building them at like nine fifty a piece. Yeah. So that was eighty grand. Minus minus pressing. Did you ever get your money from Egyptian? Never got my goddamn money. Mm. Never got the. And money. Let me and, and see the thing about distribution too. When you go, when you got a label situation set up. Whatever record falters. Right. It come up the top. Off the thing. That's why they don't mind giving you advances because right. they got a line of records coming right. up. Right. Exactly. That's the whole. That's the whole thing about the record industry. Most cats don't understand. It's about your credibility. So if you got four labels that's under one distribution company, somebody gonna drop a record in the next few months. Exactly. And some, I mean, I'm gonna get my money back one, one way or another. I don't care who it is. I just want my money back. Y'all figure out who y'all gonna charge it back to, and that's where the shit got fucked up at. So now they were supposed to drop some shit to offset our shit, and we end up going. We end up uh, falling out after that. So now we got stuck with the, uh, we then we get stuck with the with the pressing bill, so they got hit with the pressing bill. You follow me? Mm -hmm. So they got they got hit with the pressing bill. So now my money is tied up in their advances. They get stuck with the pressing bill. So now everybody mad. So who 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 did who did Egyptian Lover and them go get the advance from? Uh, man, probably one, probably California record distributors. And see, here, here's, the, here's the bad part about it. He don't know what happened because he wasn't running his own label. His girlfriend was running this label. So she went and got the bread. She went and got the bread. And then we, we sat down a few years later. This bitch was stealing from everybody. It's always a motherfucker stealing. And that's what I was going to say because mm. I know in these movies, they always show it's a big, bad white man somewhere stealing some shit. Right. And I said, man, it seemed like the brothers was doing niggas worse than, worse than the motherfucking people. We all finally sat down and came. You know, niggas for a while was like, hot, dude, you owe me this. These niggas looking at me crazy. I'm looking at y'all crazy. Everybody looking at everybody crazy. And I'm like, well, what the fuck? So after, after niggas calmed down and had a conversation one day, well, man, well, what, the, what about this right here? Oh, man, I did this. I thought this. I thought that. What the fuck? By this, t by this time, him and the old girl that broke up, she gone, and then I found out from another partner of mine about, because here's the, here's the crazy part about it. I didn't tell you all this shit. We had, me and, uh, me and my partner Charles, mm -hmm. we had got a deal for the Compton's mo for, for the Compton compilation with, uh, uh, I think it was uh, CBS or Sony, one of them two. I tell you the guy's name, his name is Tobri Emmerich. He's one of the biggest motherfucking movie executives right now in the fucking country. His name is Toby Emmerich. Okay, he left left the record division, went to the movie division. He came to L.A., met with me and Charles at the uh, Beverly Hills Hotel. It's a true story. I ain't never told. I ain't told this one no to Dusty yet. <laughs> and um, me and Charles, we rolled him down there, and I, we said, "All right, man, anything past seventy five thousand, we gonna sell this motherfucker, cash everybody out, and we good." Get down there. He was in a hurry. Look, wait, fellas, we, I heard your product. I like what you guys did. Uh, we offered a hundred thousand. We kicked another on the table like bitches. Trying not to smile this shit. Hundred thousand, hundred thousand. Okay, cool. We good, right? Mm -hmm. Monday morning, take what I'll call you Monday morning, do the paperwork. I'm there bright and early Monday morning. Mm -hmm. Charles had a dentist appointment that day. 
So I'm there at 8.30, waiting on the phone to ring. That motherfucking dinner's pointing. I'm waiting for the phone to ring. 12 o'clock, the phone ain't ring. 3 o'clock, the phone ain't ring. Charles is here. Now, man, that's what happened? I don't know, man. I don't know. Now, put a pin right there. We never heard from CBS again, right? Never heard from these cats again. Mm-hmm. Never heard from them. My partner, who I'm still in business with right to this day, at that time, he was answering the phone for, for us at, the, at West Coast. And he didn't know what was going on. So I said, man, you know, i never forget that time we had to deal with CBS, man. It was for Compton, Compton Compilation album, and CBS just flicked out. No, 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 I'm sorry. Back up, back up, back up. I'm sorry. I said, yeah, man, I saw, uh, I saw Lisa one day at the, uh, at the Spectrum place. I'm paying my cable bill. She walked in and smiled real funny. Hey, Lazo, how you doing? And all of a sudden, she acted like she left her wallet in the, in the car. And I said, I thought that was crazy. He said, she probably thought she was going to kick her ass. Why am I going to kick her ass? Oh, man, that's a deal you had for, um, for that compilation album. She told Sylvia Rowe, you didn't want it. You changed your mind. Bitch cost me $100,000, man. For real, real talk. She went up there and told the people that she didn't want it. The, the people did call that day. He, what he told me was, he said, if you get any calls for Lonzo or Charles, send them to me. Okay? So when the phone call, he didn't know what was going on. They called looking for me. He sent the call to her. So then she says, oh, uh, we, we had, they, had a convers- they had a meeting and they changed their mind. She thought it was funny and cute. So we were trying to figure out what, what happened to the phone call because she didn't want. Bottom line, it was straight up fucking old school haterade. Bottom line. So when she saw me at Spectrum, she thought I was going to kick her ass. I didn't know she had done what she had done yet. She knew what she had did, but she didn't know. I didn't know, I didn't know what she had done. So it wasn't until later on we had the conversation till it all fucking came around 360. Why would she do some shit like that? Dude, you have to understand, back then, it was, yeah. we was very competitive, man. Yeah, shit was shady back then. Shit was then. shady, dude. Shit was real, especially in the record business. So everybody, because you got to understand, even though uh, we was dance promoters, I'm still wrecking crew. He's still Uncle Jam's army. And that motherfucking feud, nigga, it just, you just can't, we couldn't get over that shit. For for wrecking crew to get a hit for 100000 was going to, Offset the, the balance of power back then, and, and that's what it comes down. That's what it boiled down to. Okay, and as far as I can think, that was just some old school. I could fuck over this nigga because we had some issues back in the day, man. That you wouldn't understand, you wouldn't believe, dude. What was the biggest issues? Was it the the gang, gangsterism get involved? Like what was it? Um, I kicked, I kicked, a, I had to kick a lot of ass back in the day as a DJ because niggas didn't want to pay you sometimes. Uh. In the record industry, we didn't get that much uh, that much gangsterism in the beginning. Now I had to go to Makota and put a, a gangster mash down on his ass. The shit Ice Cube did in the movie, he got that from me. I did that to Makota first. When I, when I made turn off the lights, that motherfucker um, he had called them all back in. He had like twenty thousand. He had like twenty thousand copies in the warehouse. Uh. I said it was like on Monday. I said, "Hey man, I'm gonna come back and get them records on on uh, Thursday." All right, no problem. I happened to fall back to Makota on Tuesday. Half of them was gone. Where the fuck my records at, man? Oh, I had to I had to uh, crush them up because they didn't have no space. Mm. So you broke your record? <coughs> no. Hell no. So that's a lie he said. Backdoor the motherfucker. Then his, uh, his uh, secretary, white girl, you know, we break her off from time to time. She keep us up on the, on the latest scoop from that motherfucker. Mm. 
your records, she sent me a note. She said, call me. And she said, call me. So I called her back. Your records are on Pico and so-and-so street. Sure enough, I pulled up. They unloading my shit. So I went back to McCola the next day. Unknown called them up. I said, hey, I don't know what you did to Lonzo. That motherfucker's coming to kick your ass, Don. I walked in that motherfucker. I grabbed this goddamn golf club, and I started tearing this office up. That motherfucker started throwing me some motherfucking stacks of money. Let me buy $7,500. Yeah. Yes. I went back the rest of the, de- the next day and got the rest of my goddamn records. Mm. No bullshit. Mm. Let me ask you this, man, because you've been depicted in a lot of movies now. And that's all I can go off because I wasn't there back then. The way they paint your character in these movies is that you had a very great dislike of hip-hop, that you didn't like it. That's the biggest lie ever fucking told, man. Yeah. I'm the first motherfucker to bring a hip-hop actor to Los Angeles. I'm the first one to bring Curtis Blow and Run DMC to L.A. No, that, let's say they say he didn't like gangster shit. No. That's what they're saying. No, no. Understand this. Yeah, that's what they're saying. Understand this. When it came to N.W.A., my only problem with them was the fucking name, man. I'm born in the 50s. I'm 66 fucking years old. Mm. When, as I grew up as a young man in Compton, when I heard somebody call somebody a nigga, it was a negative connotation. It was nothing. It was not a term of endearment. It was not a term of endearment. My daddy saw, oh, look at that nigga. Oh, my God. That nigga, don't nigga your car up. Shit like that. That's what my daddy told me that shit. So I, I, I couldn't get with the name. Second of all, when they first came out, they were not doing gangster rap. They were doing reality rap. Something, uh, something to dance to. Panic Zone. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso. 
I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink that's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily to die for is available now listen for free on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts oh oh um charles Wright song uh what's it, what are you know what i'm talking about uh when they was in jail uh express yourself, express yourself. Yeah, yeah that was what they was doing well i think the biggest problem we had on the west coast is man if people don't realize, most of the cats don't know what the fuck I had to go through to get this shit, keep this shit going. I'm, I'm not going to take credit for my, by myself. I can't do that. I cannot sit there and tell you Lonzo did the West Coast by himself. That's bullshit. Lonzo had uh, Roger, Roger Clayton from Uncle Jam's Army, rest mm -hmm. in peace. Mm -hmm. Unknown DJ. We the, three, we the three musketeers of this shit, man. Yeah. I'm the only one doing the goddamn talking, though. And see, I know you can't speak for unknown, and I don't know that brother. Right. But if eight would have had some legal representation, because you wasn't even 18 yet, was you? No. And so took eight's publishing. 
And I ain't trying to hold you accountable for that. Cause it this, don't let me you. tell you something. This is what I say when it comes to... I always tell niggas, niggas had to pay their dues. That's why I look at it like now. I'm 52 years old. Um, but I tell every nigga that a lot of us had to pay our dues when it came to getting into uh, the music business. Um, I had no fucking idea how I was going to actually make a record. I used to be in the garage at the homie house making TDK tapes like Toddy T talking about the hood, rapping about gangster shit and niggas who sold dope and the homie who went to the fucking jail last night. So by the chance meeting of Lonzo, getting on the Compton compilation is how we met Unknown. Um, Unknown had techno hop. Um, unknown had iced tea, uh, your dog in the wax, uh, you don't quit, songs like that. Um, he had King T, he had the coolest, and you better bring a gun. Um, so from there, uh, going to Lonzo's, fucking with Slip, we met Unknown. Unknown had Techno Hop. I think we put out a fucking. EP. We put out an EP cassette. on cassette. Um, uh, this is Compton. It had three songs on it, I think. Give it up. This is Compton. I give up nothing. Um, the plan was, what Unknown told us, was that our record was going to come out through West Coast Record Distributors. Okay, That's what he told us. Um uh, so I guess at the time, that's when y'all was going still through cool. y'all shit. Yeah, we still cool, but shit changed. Shit started changing. And then um, Unknown ended up meeting, I forgot the dude name. Smith? No, no. He ended up meeting a white dude who worked for Par Records. They had Par Records oh, uh, back then. Uh, um, Chuck Fassett. Yes. He, and through Chuck, he met, I forgot the dude's name, but the dude had ties with Orpheus right. and Capital. Right. So, Unknown took them all, this is Compton. Charles He met Charles Huggins and some white dude who worked, he ended up working for Morgan Creek, uh, the film company. Okay. It was a white dude. But um, they took the This Is Compton EP took it up there and that's how unknown got a deal for us now i signed a recording i know i honestly i know shit about publishing i know shit about it i know nothing about writing your own songs and none of that shit i was fucking 17 18 year old kid from compton i wanted to make records that was my dream you get me nick was in the hood every day selling dope getting shot at so it was my dream to, ooh, fucking, you get me, you know, to make records. You know, I, I didn't know technical shit. Um, unknown, I signed a contract with Unknown. Um, it was a recording contract. I ain't know nothing about publishing. Unknown took a publishing exhibit and he stapled it on the back of the recording contract. Mm. That's how he was able to control 
the publishing. So, but I didn't know. You give me your writers? No. I don't only give me nothing. You're supposed to get your, even if he's even if he got the publishing, you're supposed to get your writers. I didn't get anything. Unknown. That's, 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 that's I know. I think. Uh, I think Capital gave Orpheus two fifty. Charles pocketed one sixty. Mm. Just fuck it, and then that left Unknown with ninety grand for us to do the first CMW record. And I don't know. I might have got about maybe seventy five hundred. He gave me fifteen hundred. Mm-hmm. As a parting gift, thank you. Mm-hmm. He gave me about, I don't know, maybe 75. I really couldn't tell you. I was just a kid happy because I had a record contract. Well, you got the Suzuki too, right? Yeah, I got the Suzuki. Yeah, brakes on this motherfucker? This yeah. Anon <laughs> <laughs> gave me the Suzuki, and he gave oh, me he about. Gave Suzuki, he gave you his Suzuki. Yeah, he gave me I the Suzuki. That. Yeah, the Suzuki Cindy used right, to drive. Right, right, yeah. right, right. And uh, I had the Suzuki, and nigga... We was mashing, nigga, 6 a.m. radio stations at K-Day. And, you know, I'm writing all the songs, Slip doing beats, you know. Uh, I think we we did, like, three records up under Unknown, under Big Beat, before I started going. I'm still living on Johnson Street. You get me? Mm-hmm. Um, Unknown had moved to Encino. Unknown had the German Shepherd. Killer dog. Killer. Yeah. Killer. <laughs> dog just speaking his name. That nigga said the dog's part. Hell yeah. Nine. So, uh, you know, but. How much Unknown spent on that dog? Shit, at least about 15, 20 grand. Like that, that, yeah. Custom train. Yeah. Nine yeah. Yards. Nigga, I'm still living on Johnson Street, driving a Suzuki around. And so I'm like, I mean, we got into it one day. Cause I start going on the road, and a nigga took a thousand dollars on my checking account. Cause you know he was cool with the bank. He went into my checking account, took a thousand dollars out, and went and bought me a portable DAT machine. I said, nigga, I don't need that motherfucking shit. What the fuck, I need a uh, nigga. I need my money. I don't need a DAT machine. He was like, nigga, you stupid. You need to. And from that day, we fell out. And he couldn't even go buy the debt machine for you. I remember we was at the studio. We was at Slips that night. And I was pissed off that the nigga had spent $1,000 of my money. We was over Slips getting low. You know, we Slips used to get loaded as a motherfucker. We at Slips house getting loaded. Unknown over there, too. He leave his checkbook. Me and Slip go through his checkbook. We seen he had just got a publishing deal with MCA for like 70 grand. And they gave me $2,500. I wrote every fucking song on music to drive by, on fucking straight checking them, on fucking it's a Compton thing. He gave me $2,500 and walked away with 60, whatever he walked away with. And. That's when I said, I got to give me an attorney. And that's when we split the deal. And that's when I finally was able to break away from unknown. And I never, I never tried to sue him. I never tried to do none of that shit. I chalked it up as I had to pay my fucking dues. You get me? That's where I looked at it. 
I never had any regrets about it. Other niggas was like, nigga, if I was with you, nigga, we would have went at that nigga. But I looked at it as, how else would I have gotten the business? You feel me? Right of admission. So that's what I looked at it as. And I tell every nigga, I had to pay my dues. And if that's what you want to chalk it up as paying my dues, because in the end of it, I'm here right now. My career went, you know, it went cool. I didn't hit fucking, I didn't hit Dre and Snoop status. But like I tell niggas every day, I'm comfortable where I'm where I'm at. You feel me? I don't have no regrets at all. You know what, dude? I can respect that, man. I tell cats all the time, man, you should have did nothing. That ain't, that ain't what I do, man. You know, it's just certain shit I don't do, okay? When, you got to understand, going, to, going, going back to hip-hop for a minute. Hip-hop, at one point in time, was just like house party versus boys in the hood. Just like that. Mm-hmm. Like watching, you, you watching house party on one channel, then you turn your channel, and there's boys in the hood. That's how this shit changed. Niggas went from Gumby haircuts and dancing around and hopping around and shit to shooting them motherfuckers. Just like that. Crack, dude, that's how it flipped up. Crack, yeah. crack changed everything. I didn't see the major effect on it because by the time the E didn't feel it, because we was niggas were still snorting powder cocaine at the E. That was that was the drug, powder cocaine yeah, and we sherm. Could, we couldn't come up to the E, okay? man. That was the fucking <laughs> drug. And then by the time I got to do those, my crowd got younger, mm-hmm. so I didn't see a lot of drugs. Plus, I had the police at the front door. I didn't see a lot of drugs. My neighborhood changed. Where I grew up at changed because cats were selling pills. Now they started to sell, and they were selling weed, but now they starting to sell crack. And shit started changing real hard in like the late 80s, early 90s. Hell yeah. So I went back to the eve again. Man. I went back to the eve in the 90s. Man. I went back to, to come up to the eve. I was like, boy, it's treacherous around okay. there. Okay. When the dark was that bad? Man. When I, when I came back in the 90s, man, that, it was rough for me. Man, that neighborhood because was no when joke I, around there. When I first there. opened the eve up in 79, I wore a suit to work every day. Cause I, not because I had to, because I wanted to. That was the vibe of the eve. When I came back in 92... Nigga, I had to wear jeans and tennis shoes every day because mm-hmm. niggas was fighting. Man, niggas. It wasn't even like it wasn't even a party no more. It was waiting to see how many niggas gonna get fight. How many niggas gonna fight tonight? Yeah. I couldn't even sit in the office. I used to be a time I go to my office, have me a girl back. Should be stop. People be listening to this shit. I be getting caught up on this shit. But uh, I'd have company, mm-hmm. and now I got to walk the floor like my security guards, man. I'm wearing just I went dressed like I am the right Eve now. Was right in the middle of the hood. It, it was man. a whole different. It was a whole different. Right whole different thing, dude. Where was the Eve located at? Man, on oh, motherfucking Avalon and El Segundo. Oh, you got Eugene no. Village down the street. You got Athens Park. You got the motherfucking. You can Centennial right down to the one five. The one thirty five. The the Gardena right around the corner. It's surrounded by nothing but the blood, homies. So y'all ain't never perform up there. Man, I think I went up to the Eve one time, man, and we snuck up in there. That place was treacherous, man. Now, if you, now if you came with my brother, my brother was a shotgun. You was all right. My brother ran with the shotguns. But he also lived, he went to school in Gardena, but he lived with my mama. My daddy had a pad in Gardena. So he would hang with the bloods 
during the evening time, but go to school with the Crips, with the shotguns. But we, but my daddy had a line cutting service. We cut lines in the three in the one three five. So I knew everybody, and because I never game bang, mm-hmm. I got a music pass because I'm the DJ. Oh, that's the DJ. He cool. He cool. He you know mm-hmm. that that was my thing. That's why I never tripped on shit like that. I because I had the music and I was doing parties in 1976 everywhere. Watch Compton. Gardena, essays, uh, didn't make no damn difference. So the music was always my past, but when I got you to Eve, I got a different kind of past. So that's Lonzo Spy. He, he don't really gangbang. But everybody knew my, they knew where it was. So they came respectful. When they did come, even like Snake Puppy from LA Dream Team, he told, he was telling me, other, told me many a time, him and the Egyptian lover used to walk to that motherfucker from, uh, they lived on 60 something. They would walk to the Eve. And didn't didn't trip. I mean, Snake Puppy lived in Watts. Egypt lived across town someplace. They would walk sixty blocks to the Eve because the Eve stayed open till five o'clock in the morning. It wasn't always fucked up. It got fucked. It did have its issues. Don't get me. I ain't gonna sit, in, sit here and lie about nothing. Mm-hmm. We did have our issue. We had our bad nights. Okay. Sometimes if if certain people got outnumbered, it'd go down. But for the most part, in the early days, it was a piece of cake. It, did, it didn't get really rough till the shit, man, uh, right before I got ready to shut it down. That's the shit started happening. Yeah, you know, I want to go back to something real quick. You the one, your company initially put the Compton compilation out, correct? Yeah. So that means that those groups on that compilation, if a deal was to arise out of it or something, it seemed like that would have went through you. They did. Um, Compton's most wanted went through Unknown. Mm-hmm. Vanilla C., Went through uh, my boy Charles. Mm-hmm. Did a single deal with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, PG thirteen went PG, through unknown. PG thirteen went to unknown also. So it was like my partner. He was he was he was a part of West Coast, but the groups didn't come to West Coast. You follow me? Yeah, I got you. And by that time we had, we started having issues. I didn't. Want Why that. did you feel like you didn't have first dibs at trying to get those groups deals? Since all of them came through crew cut, you know what? I've I've always been a little bit different minded, man. Because that at that time, new hip hop was so new. I got the yeah. studio. I'm doing clubs. I'm getting asked all the time. I mean, here, you know, give me give me something, give me something, go, give me something, go. That was always my my, my attitude. Okay, I was always on a different situation. I provide the platforms. I didn't really want to be nobody's manager. Okay, so I'm not a producer. I don't make beats. And Jerry Heller was with you at first, right? Jerry Heller was with me first. I don't make beats. I own studios, I own nightclubs, I own platforms. I give people shots, okay? I, prov- I provide opportunity. I so if I give you opportunity and somebody says, hey, man, what are my boys? Like, right, even right now, I ain't made a record in damn near 35 years. Man, I got this dude. I got a, I got a rapper. Or I got, I mean, I got this, I, I make beats. I still hook people together right to this day. I get my money now. I do a little bit different. But I hook people up. That's what I've, I, I, that's what I've always done. I'm not, I'm not an artist. I've made records. I write songs, but I'm not a fucking artist per se. I ain't, you know, nigga, you put me against a thousand motherfuckers, I'm still gonna be last when it comes to rapping. But when it comes to motherfuckers that put niggas on, ain't nobody put more niggas on than me. Let me ask you this, man. Did Jerry ever come to you because you hooked him up with Easy and them, right? Yes, sir. Did he ever straighten you out for that? Hell no. Let me ask you this, and, you know, I'm trying to say that. Ain't no other way to ask, was Jerry Hiller a crook? Jerry Hiller, it, it depends on how you, wanna, how, how you define crook. I wouldn't call him a crook, but he was smart. He knew what he was dealing with, 
And he knew, like, unknown. Well, I'm gonna say people, other people did right. take advantage of certain people. Exactly. That's why I've always, I always felt that he did not want me too close to these fellas. Understand this. I'm in business at 19, DJing already. I got my first club at 22. I know how to count. I know what 20% equals. And Jerry had already ex experienced my business acumen when we got our CBS deal. Because when I got my CBS deal, um, we got headhunted from CB by Larkin Arnold. Larkin Arnold's a big-time producer. Bad boy. from uh, He's the one that discovered Frankie Beverly and Mays. Brought Marvin Gaye over to uh, CBS the whole nine yards. So we got headhunted from McCullough to go to CBS, Sony. And when uh, it came time to do the deal, Jerry didn't get me the deal. I got my own damn deal. So now come time to do the paperwork. I don't have a manager. Jerry wants to be my manager. I called my lawyer. I said, hey, my, hey, his name is Kent Clavin, still around. I said, Kent, do I need a manager for this project? He said, for what? What do you need a manager for? I said, well, so don't you need a manager to do your, do your deal? He said, no. I'm going to do the negotiations. Yo, all your manager going to do is call you and tell you what I said. Then you're going to say yes or no. He's going to call me and tell me yes or no. Okay? So cut out the middle, man. Mm -hmm. Buy yourself a cell phone and be ready to answer the phone. That's how I learned the game. Because they weren't giving out record music business lessons back then. Hell no. They weren't giving lessons out then. Okay? Wasn't no YouTube. Wasn't no, wasn't no books. Wasn't no music universities. So if you didn't know somebody that was going to put you up on some game, you wasn't going to get none. So... He charged me, I think it was like seventy five hundred dollars to do my to do the negotiations with the with with uh, Sony. I'm learning the game. He explained this shit to me as I'm going. I'm getting billed for it, but it's the best lesson I ever got. You get billed for college. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So as this shit is going on, I'm learning the game. So now Jerry realized that this motherfucker is pretty smart. He don't need he don't, he don't need me. So I saved the crew twenty grand by doing the deal myself. Because if, if we had to deal, deal with Jerry, we'd have to give Jerry 20000 plus give the lawyer 7000 That's 27000 off of 100 Now we got a $7,000 budget to work with. Because I did the deal myself instead of having 7500 now we got 97000 to work with. Mm, makes sense to me. Make a big difference. Big ass difference. Make, make a big ass difference. And I bought my own studio. I bought my own demo studio. Made all my beats at the pad first. Then went to the big studio and recorded that shit. So now I got all this equipment. I got a studio. I got we got twenty grand extra to spend to fuck off or whatever. That's what we did. Fuck it off, okay. And this is how I was always taught to think. So I had a different mindset. I wasn't stuck on being an artist. I wasn't stuck on being um, a, a label owner per se. I just trying, I was trying to get my, get get us the game as fast as possible. You were a businessman. I was a businessman, but my only problem was. But the music shit, the music business shifted from being about business to got more gangsters, got more street shit. I backed up. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. 
There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto O'Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research, conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, A military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. 
if you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Because that ain't what I do. I don't want to. So you saw Suge and all of them come in. I saw all of them coming in, and my experiences out of Compton as a young man growing up, realized, I realized if you ain't prepared to kill a motherfucker, leave him alone. Okay? Mm. I done been through a lot of shit, man. I done shot at motherfuckers. And I ain't no gangster. I done shot at motherfuckers and shot at the whole nine years. That's not, that's not what I fucking do. So I don't want to go back through that shit. So surviving Eve after dark, surviving Dudo, surviving Skateland, I don't want to be. I don't want to be a motherfucking gangster, man. I've done some gangster shit, but that ain't what I. That, that's not my my forefront. I'm like any other motherfucker. I, nigga, I do what I got to do to survive, but mm. that ain't what I do. You know, seeing you go through your, it's funny, man. Your history kind of parallel what I go through right now, because I was one of the first dudes in L.A. doing podcasts. Okay. So I helped a lot of people out. Really genuinely tried to help motherfuckers out. A lot of times was losing money, you know, with helping people. But it always comes back in the end that you can never satisfy people. Yeah. You can never satisfy people. You can always get blamed for everything. Yeah, you know what yeah. I'm saying? This is definitely a bit of Especially when dealing with artists. When you deal with artists, a lot of times, if they're successful, it's all about me. But if you fail, nigga, it's your fault. Definitely. Dude, I didn't, I didn't write that shit. I didn't, which, uh, well, you didn't do this. So people usually want to make a scapegoat. I, don't, I didn't want to be nobody's scapegoat. I'd rather give you a shot. Been going to do your thing. Good luck. Good luck. And that's always been my motherfucking forte. Well, I like Ace's attitude with it all because I always feel like if somebody gives you an opportunity to change your life, you got to take the bitter with the sweet. Oh, definitely. It'll never be perfect, but I look at it like right now, like if Charlemagne called me tomorrow and said, hey, man, we can't fuck with the show no more. I ain't got nothing bad to say about him. That motherfucker, this shit, he don't, me and Ace don't make some pretty good money fucking with this dude. Yeah, it's just people expect, you know, your attitude to be different. I don't know. Like I said, I've been through a lot of other shit, and from the situation that, you know, that happened, you know what I'm saying, just a couple of weeks ago, I'll be like, man, it, it's it's just another lesson learned. And from 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 where I done been, now I done been places motherfuckers will never go. Oh man. You get me? Paid for. Um I done been around the world, you get me? Foreign countries and all kind of shit. So I just tell niggas is you know, you gotta pay your dues. When you gotta pay your dues with anything though. You know what I'm saying? You so know what? That's why I never go around and try to, you know, push that narrative of, of really just bad mouthing motherfuckers like some motherfuckers do. I try to stay away from the negative bullshit, you know. Sometimes you might, you know, get questioned about certain shit. But in all in all, I tell a nigga I wouldn't trade it for nothing. You get me? I think I am crushed about that corny shit, though. Well, well. I'm, nigga, I'm hurt. I'm hurt, nigga. I'm, I'm, our, I'm our, <laughs> listen, my opinion, because, you know what I'm saying? Like, you, you said it, though. Let me put it in a different perspective. Our shit was a lot of dance-orientated music. You get me? We didn't have the, you know, like you said, the first shit you probably heard when a nigga was talking some street shit was Toddy T. 
You yeah. feel me? So a lot of our music was electro, electro, electro funk. I mean, we had break dancers, we had pop lockers and right. shit. So I'll put it in that perspective. Uh, uh, Crew Cut gave us a platform to be able to put out records because nobody else did that. Uh, we, I was influenced by gangster shit. I don't know why. I mean, I grew up in Compton. I was fucking gang banging at 13, 14 years old. Even at, even at, Our Lady of Victory was gang banging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I yeah, know about that too. Yeah. <laughs> even when I went to Our Lady of Victory, I was gang banging. I was claiming Trag New Park. So, you know, um, I was just influenced by street shit. And, you know, and I, I had a mama who worked every day hard. I had a father who worked at General Motors down in Southgate. But, I don't know. It was just the niggas down the street with the with the hood rats and the motherfucking slang and dope. And, you know, uh, I think when I was coming to your crib, my cousin gave me my first deuce deuce. So we used to come over there strapped up and 40 ounce and smoking weed and shit like that. And I was. But they never disrespected me. Oh, no, no. No, we never disrespected that's, that's Lonzo's all, that's all place. That's I ever asked for. Um, whatever, whatever side you rolling with. That's cool. Oh, no, we never brought no. I mean, because like it was a gang of niggas Everybody. from different sides. Yeah. But yeah, we got along with everybody up there when we would be there. Um, we never had no uh, confrontations or nothing. Now, some niggas did follow me over there one day. Uh, but when I pulled up at your spot and they knew it was your spot, they was like, all right, nigga. But yeah, it could have been vicious. Cause I mean we was gang banging, and that's why I've always stayed neutral to the shit. I know niggas from I li where I live at. Yeah, one side is blood, one side mm -hmm. is crip. Yeah, and okay. I used to. I, I just have to live in the fucking middle. <laughs> okay, you in the neutral zone, and both of them know me. All of them know me. Okay, and I used to come up 120th, and yeah. you come up 120th. It be some niggas see you, Dude. nigga. They follow you right over there. What you doing over here, nigga? And they see where you at. They like, oh, all right then. And pull off, bang. I, I want to go back to this Jerry Heller shit, shit real quick, because he was with you first, right? Yeah. So he never came back and said, you know what, Lonzo, you hooked me up with this or that, and I'm... No, he, he never said, he never did nothing like that, man. Uh, in fact, when, um, I never get really, I never get really, I never got mad at Jerry. I never, uh, I, read, I didn't trip on him, because um, Easy always... But, find something for me to do from time to time. I was like the liaison for Ruthless Records. Mm -hmm. The Compton liaison, when there was a problem, I'd always, Easy or Jerry would call me up, hey man, we got a problem, he goes, he goes some money, go take care, take care of this for us right quick. Mm -hmm. You know, I ain't mad about that. You know, at that time, I was cool, man. I was just cool not being caught up in the bullshit. I don't do bullshit very well, okay? Like you, like eight, I'm a goddamn Gemini. Don't let these smiles and jokes fuck you, you know, get get it get you fucked up, okay? So I didn't want to put myself in that position. The one time I met with Suge, I had a uh, not really a problem with Suge. I had a, a, a interaction with Suge. It was like, dude, I ain't that one. I'm cool, but I ain't that one. Mm -hmm. And we shook hands, walked away from it, left it alone. Is Jerry Heller was one of them cats, man, that he had a lot of connections. It was ad more advantageous. To be on his good side than his bad side. He was a vindictive motherfucker. He could be very vindictive. 
okay? Mm-hmm. And if I needed something, I can call him up. He can give me a referral, connection, blah, blah, blah. When I had to turn off the lights, even though he wasn't my manager, or yeah, he was my manager, we, we went around and just shopped a deal, okay? Uh, when it came to easing them, I didn't think that was going to fly, Doc. Because Jerry hit me up a few days after that situation went down. And he asked me, he says, Lonzo, how does a Jewish man from the Valley represent a group from Compton called Niggas with Attitudes? And I told him very carefully. And I didn't think the relationship was going to work. I swear to God I didn't. Because Jerry was used to dealing with me, Egypt, and Rudy, and some other folks. Easy was a totally different situation. Easy carried his money in his sock. Easy would have a fucking, look like he had an ankle bracelet on sometime. He had so much money in his fucking sock. Paid in cash, everything. And once Jerry realized that he had something that was workable, I felt that he may have taken advantage of them. Because understand this, Jerry always, this is something I learned from him. I never got sued. I never got sued. If I'm a crook, why nobody ever sued me? Simply because once you sign the contract, nigga, you agree to that shit. Yeah. That's the fucking deal. Yeah, you can't yeah. go to the judge crying now because nah. you didn't read the goddamn contract. So when I talked to Yella uh, about the situation, uh, he's probably the main one I see, see in contact with. You know, they got he got some money, but nobody got what they deserved. Even Dre didn't get what he was deserved because when they first formed NWA, it was supposed to be a partnership. Okay, it was formed in my living room. They got the name, well, they came up with the name and concept at uh, at uh, Arabian Princess Pad, but they started talking about the deal at my house because I kind of had a little input. And they, if he wanted to start a record label, he wasn't going to be on the label. He wasn't going to be an artist. He wanted to put the money behind the project. These people forget about this kind of shit. He was going to put the, just like you saw in the movie, him just wanted to be a, a, a label owner. HBO, the guy, homeboys only coming to the pad. That happened at my house for real. And so them niggas really told Dre that shit was garbage. They, they, they didn't. They didn't like this shit. They was from New York. They don't. They, cars didn't hop in New York back then. Mm-hmm. So people forget all this shit, man. It was a different time. The shit is not. You can't compare today to 1985, 86. Because it's two different worlds. Yeah. We still, you know, even NWA, like I said before, they still had to do records like something to dance to in Panic Zone. Which, which were produced by Arabian Prince, that if you put some breathing on the shit, it could have been a record crew song. Mm-hmm. Just to get on the radio, because it hadn't, they hadn't, it hadn't been accepted yet. It hadn't yet. transitioned over it yet. It hadn't transitioned yet. Good looking. It hadn't, it hadn't transitioned yet to, to the gangster shit yet. When Easy wanted me to get help, help him, uh, when Easy wanted me to get him to get him to Greg Mack, because Greg Mack was my guy. Greg, me, Greg Mack, and Roger, me and Greg Mack had a, uh, had a business arrangement. Roger was our competition. Fuck Roger and Uncle Jam's army because they was they was dissing everybody. That was our attitude. Greg was bringing me acts of Dudos, LL Cool J, New Edition, all kind of mo- every weekend. We had somebody different at Dudos because Greg was hooking the shit up. We was making money. He was playing our records on the radio the whole nine yards. We had a hell of a thing going on. If he play him, he had him on Dudos on Friday, and uh, fucking Sherman Sherman Square Roller Rink on Saturday. We was killing that shit. And then Easy wanted to get in the mix, but he was cussing on the record. So that's when you start getting all the reversals and the beeps and shit. That was the yeah, first time it happened. Records was a big deal back then, though. Yes, definitely. Yes, that was a big deal back then. I I even heard motherfuckers saying you can go to jail for that. Yeah, that was a big Dude, thing back then. Look, the scene in Straight Outta Compton. When I get on Dre's ass, 
the real story behind that was because at Dudos, I'd hired off-duty cops to be my security. Dudos is right next door to Pyru. Mm-hmm. Like that parking lot is yeah. across the goddamn driveway. Mm-hmm. Dudos is at the Pyru. The mecca of all bloods is right there yeah. next to uh, Dudos, Skateland. Skate, them was Skateland, the right next yeah. door to that. Yeah. yeah. So in order for me to make that happen, I had to have some security. That was the old man's deal. You got to have security. I recommend off-duty cops. But guess what? I got a first cousin. My mama's sister's brother, my, my mama's sister's son, is on the Compton PD. He ran the swap, he ran the security for the swap meet. Mm-hmm. Reggie Wright Sr. was one of his boys, the game detail dude. So I had him, Huey Taylor, all of them doing do- security for me at Dudos. I'm giving them $125 a night. You had, you had Reggie Wright Sr. up there? Yeah, Reggie Wright Sr. You know what? Reggie Wright Sr. was an um, important piece of Compton. Damn right. He was one of the first people that really exercised the community police in the way he wasn't just throwing motherfuckers in jail. Right. He would talk to motherfuckers. Right. He would take your pistol from you now or whatever. You right. know, if you had some shit. But he wasn't just so quick to throw a motherfucker in jail. So when Cass came to do those and saw Reggie, oh, shit, this motherfucker know me. Everybody in line. Mm-hmm. So we had something that do those. Me and Greg had something that you couldn't fade. You couldn't fade if you wanted to. And the shit just blew up. And this is how shit started developing. But Jerry Heller didn't understand the, uh, the, the all the different parts that was making this shit happen. So because I had Greg back, me and, me and him still tight to this day. I got Dudos and I got Macola. We got a trifecta. We making our own records. We got you getting airplay on the radio, and we got a place to uh, to perform at. So everybody's coming to the to, you know niggas is taking their chances coming to Dudos to perform. Mm-hmm. So that was my that was my forte, and more over everything was providing platform. Because if I start doing too much management, I can't do it. I, I'm a, I got to stop and do some other shit. Now, you knowing so much about the music industry, man, this changed drastically today with the whole streaming and everything yeah. like that. Um, I saw that Snoop recently took all the Death Row stuff when he acquired the Death Row right. catalog or whatever. He took it off the streaming platform, all the streaming platforms, and he put it back up. I guess he said to find out. You know why he did that? Yep. What was when, when you, as shit gets on the streaming platforms, Depending on what platform it gets get, goes on to, you get an RSS number, RSS feed number. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. those numbers, if they don't coincide, your money can get get, get scattered. Exactly. Okay. So, in fact, I'm I'm going through the same shit right now. My records have been on so many compilations. I'm on MLC. I'm on uh, uh, Sound Exchange. You got your BMI shit, and if you don't mm-hmm. have the same numbers, you won't get credit for the shit. So I had to hire a publishing manager for the first time to go in, go find all my shit, not just Wrecking Crew, because I got a catalog. I got 200 songs in my catalog of other shit. Find all my songs, make sure make sure they all have the same uh, correct uh, RSC uh, code, code. RSC codes, mm-hmm. and, and not only for America, but overseas, mm-hmm. Canada, England, Japan, all that shit. So that's a fucking job. So I would think Snoop would do the same thing. He, I'm gonna take all my shit off the air right now, get all this shit straight, and put it back. Now it's gonna be correct. So all the money gonna go to the right people. Oh, so he probably had checks going all all kinds. He of probably been you, well. Yeah, direct deposits, not baby. It's yeah, direct deposits. Yeah. You know, or you might not get your money at all. And that was something. That was a problem for me because I had so many songs, and I think, well, damn, something's something itching me now. Shit, 
y'all got in this motherfucker. Yeah, anyway. you got so many songs and shit, and they got so many different codes from the old right. motherfuckers who registered This motherfucker, I got shit. shit on Thump Records, which is universal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and they throw their own codes on your shit. Yes. You a, oh, you was a, fucking with Thump? I did. Oh, Bill, I don't want to say his name. That motherfucker over there, one of the jankiest motherfuckers. He's <laughs> janky. When you uh, do compilations, if motherfucker got any kind of jank on him, your shit will end up with a new code so he can get paid. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I'm saying? So you know, like they did with the physical shit back then. They put a different barcode right. on shit. A motherfucker tell you, oh man, you did you shipped out five thousand units and really you don't he don't shipped out thirty of them motherfuckers because he don't sent ten over to right. Europe. He don't send another ten in Japan. Cause I had a thing, man, me and Big A had a sweet thing going on. I had a hookup in Japan, dog, with Tower Records to where they were buying from me for COD. Mm. I was sending them motherfuckers 2,000 records, dog. They, I get my money right then and there, dog. We selling them motherfuckers $8 a piece, dog. I was distributing Daz and them shit, dog. We was doing that shit, dog. And it's a funny thing. And Daz, my nigga, he'll tell you. I remember it was a holiday, right? And the lady usually sending us our money. It was coming up on Christmas, right? It's like in December. December, like 18th or some shit like that. Right. She tells me, she says, you know, our banks are closed over here. I'll be able to get you the money, like, Two days after Christmas or some shit like that, right? So, you know, niggas used to getting their money COD. So I put Dad's name on a motherfucking email, right? To, you know, so they could see it wasn't no shit me telling right, y'all, right, you know, right. all niggas be right. So Dad's go back on the motherfucker and say, Bitch, just shoot the motherfucker. <laughs> I say, oh, my God. Oh, my God. So all that relationship I cultivated over the years is just gone now. She says, no problem. I will send you the money myself. She sent me the money, dog. I sent her some shit a few weeks later, like a one sheet. Didn't get no response, dog. That was just that quick. It was Dude, just that quick. People don't understand. You can't take that book, take that street shit to the to the, to, the, to them folks. They, it they work, that scared the shit out of them, man. Yeah, they'll fuck with you, but that's gonna be I'll cut your ass off like yeah, a, like, cut like you a bad haircut immediately. Like I'm done fucking with you. Yes, yeah, uh, man. That's one thing about the record business I miss, dude. Right now, I mean, when we do certain projects, man. If you had a good, even if it wasn't your project, if you know what it what, what the spots was. The COD spot, you can take 100 CDs, or two, I'm sorry, a couple thousand CDs down to a spot, pick up $15,000, $20,000. Bro, I had it for a minute, man. I, Cash. Before drama and them got cracked, mm-hmm. I don't want to say too motherfucking much, but but before drama and them got cracked, dog, I was probably doing about, man, we was probably doing about anywhere from 60 to a buck 20 a month, my nigga. Mm. That's how I, like, like, really, dog, that's how I made my bag. That's how I bought my first house, dog. That's how I did a lot of shit, dog. Put a son through college with that money. My oldest son, eight. Mm-hmm. Put him through college off that money, dog, because it, I had a distribution set up around the world. Right. I had a company in England called Altered Eagle. Okay. They started an urban division. So all the shit out of the United States from the West Coast, I was distributing out there outside of my own shit, right? I had so much stuff going, and the one mistake I made, dog, was putting it. If I wouldn't have put them on that email... Because Dad's a whole different nigga now. Dad's way different now. You know, back then, Dad's a cuss a motherfucker out. You know what I'm saying? Bitch, where the money at? Give it that. You know what I'm saying? But it got fucked off that quick. If I wouldn't have put him on, I'd probably still be eating with them motherfuckers. I had deals with Blue Dolphin and a few other people, man, and the same kind of thing, dude. You just, if you had a relationship and you dropped some shit, they're going to they gonna order a thousand just to test it out. Yeah, that's what Cash. it was. I think my smallest order would be from over there would probably be anywhere from 500 to 1,000. 
Because yeah. that was just them trying some shit out. Right. And it wasn't no coming back. That's no what I love back. about it. All that shit about returns and shit. Right. Because I'm going to tell you, that motherfucker, um, you know, your boy from City Hall, right? right. He was good for that walk, probably still holding on the motherfuckers' reserves up there. Right, they right. had the reserves. Oh, yeah, the for one, them returns, the returns man. Returns and shit. They hold that Water 25%. Tell you, man, you'll be a year later. Walk, when can we settle this, my nigga? Ain't no CDs coming back now. Right, right. Oh, well, I don't know, man, because they can come back at any time. That's gay. It was just a great period because I remember I would be able to go holler at Violet Brown directly. She was one of the few buyers that would just sit up and talk to independent right. people. Anybody. Because she knew the power of it. Yeah. She knew she'd fuck around and get some shit. she said, well, you know what? She would put motherfuckers in that Lakewood location when it was there, the Lakewood, right. the Carson, um, Carson yep. the one by the mall out there. What's the big mall? The Lama? Right. Mm-hmm. The one over there, she would try you out and certain shit, and she was good. It was just, to me, that was the golden era shit. The swap meets was always my favorite, man, because uh, Mr. Park, see, when you, when you sell it to the, 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 the swap meets, they, have a, they, got the, they got their own little distribution thing. You only can sell to one dude. Wherever you open up, whoever starts buying from you first, that's the one you got to stick with. If you try to go to the Slauson, you finna get fucked. You finna cancel all your shit. Mm-hmm. But they would buy so many, okay? Mm-hmm. Slauson, I mean, uh, Mr. Park at Lone Beach Swap Meet. I mean, uh, um, Compton Swap Meet. Yeah. Steve Yano. Steve. Steve Yano, yep. When, when Steve, mm-hmm. not when I met Steve, I was selling bootlegs, okay? And bootlegs was like like mega mixes. People, you know, we'd mash them all together and shit. I thought Steve was FBI, Cause on the, you know, I thought it was the FBI. I ain't never been an Asian dude. Steve Yano put high C in him on. He put everybody on, okay. But I guess when I first met him, he was selling, buying R and B shit, and I brought him to the pad. He met Dre. He met Easy. They all go to the swap meet, start mixing in, in Cube. They they mix that the swap meet, and it just made for a hell of a situation. But I'm gonna say that he would he would buy so many records from me at one time. I'd have to make a, a custom order just for him. That's as I'd made so many bootlegs. I made it must have made like fourteen or fifteen of them. So I'd have to, you know, he give me an order. I need a hundred of this, fifty of this. I would literally have to go down on Friday and make two trips just to get his stuff, and then go back to see Mister Park and everybody else. Man, there was some good ass times, wasn't it? Yes, and ain't nothing like man. some good old stinking ass money. Man, just used to, nothing they, like it. Shit, it used to be all green, man. I, I swear, man. One time, man, I remember I made a run to all the swap meets. Right, I did a swap meet run. Because I used to have the T-shirts and the motherfucking, you know, CDs and shit, dog. I made a swap meet run, dog, and went and saw a few of my independent retailers. Mm-hmm. I came home one Saturday, man, with probably about $12,000. Just that quick, dog. Being gone about four hours. I had a spot out in uh, in Simi Valley. I'd go to this uh, Arab dude. I'd have a truckload of shit, but I had a Suburban back then. Suburban be full. Come out to the parking lot, bumper, bumper, hit the ground. Get to the spot, unload the shit. And he would give me a check, and I would be nervous as fuck. He said, no, 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 don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. He called his bank, tell him I'm coming. His bank was in a building on Beverly Hills, on Cannon Drive, up on like the second or third floor. No sign says bank, no yeah, nothing. No tellers or nothing. No tellers or nothing. You, you know, you walk into the door, and he says, go to the suite right here. And it's a small little bank, and they don't have uh, plexiglass and shit. They just got desks. And he made the phone call, and she made the phone call to verify who I was. She says, yeah, and she gave me a stack of money like it wasn't shit. And you just walk out. I mean, it's, it's just so different, man. Yeah, you know how I found out about them banks, dog? I got some crazy-ass stories fucking with this music business, dog. Okay. I met a motherfucker, dog, up in Hollywood Hills one night, dog. We had a meeting. 
Asian Here you dude. go with this Hollywood no, Hill man, shit, man. It ain't no man. weird shit like this. Okay, bro. man. No weird Hollywood yeah, Hill stories, no man. This ain't no weird shit. There ain't no pentagrams or no shit like yeah, that. Yeah, good. Right? But, okay, shit. So I meet with this cat, man. He actually was one of the co-founders of Netflix. Okay. But he had got bought out or whatever like that. And he would get like a, um, I think he would get like a $2 million check every quarter. Okay. That was like his thing, right? So... But when I went to this dude's house, I noticed he had a whole bunch of gangbangers living up there. I guess they was his protectors, right? And they was trying to stop niggas from talking to him. You know what I'm saying? They was trying. So I go to meeting. Then everybody in my face asked me what I'm doing up there and this and that. So I we meet and talk like that. So it was a movie. I had a script that he liked, right? Dude cut me a check that night, man, for like $85,000, mm. right? He said, oh, come back. In another week, I'm going to have another check for 85. So I'm like, shit, we winning. I go right deposit that motherfucker. And the shit cleared. The lady told me, my teller told me, she said, you know, fucking with checks. I don't like right, fucking right. checks. I always give it to my girl, hey, see if this motherfucker got the funds in here. So, yeah, she said, funds available now. The nigga that hooked me up with the nigga, I shoot him 10 just that quick. Like, he can go, you know, go on now. You know, this is all you getting. You know what I mean? You, he get his 10 or whatever, dog, we get on. I go to the bank, dog, like a week later for some shit, dog. We about to start shooting a movie. My bank account balance is like negative 60. I said, what the fuck is going on? I'm like, this nigga don't put a a cancellation on the motherfucking check. That nigga, Glass Malone, I go to this nigga's house. He he ain't answering the door. Them niggas is there like, man, Tokes, you should have went through us, man. He be doing shit like that, right? So... It's a broad there, dog. He buying motherfuckers cars and all kind of shit. Right, I go up there, man. I finally catch the motherfucker. Me and Glasses Malone. He can verify this story. We wait outside the motherfucking crib. I'm in one of Glasses. He had this station wagon. Because I ain't want the nigga to see my truck or nothing like that. We catch him. Glasses jump out, nigga. Cuz, we need that bread. <laughs> right? So we catch the motherfucker. I grab the nigga. I put him in my car. I said, nigga, we going to go get that motherfucking money now. This nigga took me to three or four different motherfucking ATMs. We went to one ATM because he had a lot of different accounts, right? And I didn't, that's when I found out a nigga can get as much money as they want to from ATM. Okay. He gave me 5000 from that motherfucker. We go into banks. The last bank we went to was this bank, dog, like you talk about. We go up in that motherfucker. Ain't no tellers there. I thought this nigga was going to call the police or some right. shit, dog. I thought he was going to call the police. He goes up in there. He gave me the rest of the motherfucking money, man, but... I don't fuck with checks at all, dog, because yeah. of that shit. Don't fuck with them at all. I, <clears throat> my last check I took on the road, that motherfucker still bouncing. Oh, dog, you can't fuck with him because that's what I found out. What he did was he had the money. But if I give you a check today, my nigga, you can cancel that check two months from now, whenever you mm, want to. Uh, motherfucker can cancel a check. Why? They can reverse that motherfucker or whatever to try to, but it's only so long. You right, can't right. reverse a wire. If I send you some money today, I can't go back two months from now and say, hey, man, I want my money back. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? You just can't do that shit, dog. But this is what I want to ask you when it comes to the to, to crooked shit and everything, man. When is the last time you talked to um, Unknown? Shit, two days ago. You think he'd come on the show? Nope. No. He's Unknown. Unknown will not do interviews. No. I had a podcast that he was on. He sit on, he sit behind the camera with a microphone. He will not come on. He will not do an interview. No, he's he, never. He he's like never yeah, he's never done. We done. We did two. We did. Uh, we did one podcast together for Red Bull, and only reason why he did that one because there wasn't no cameras. 
Yeah. What is he doing? Is he still music associated? Put jumper cables on my nuts right now. I couldn't tell you. Mm. If you shocked the shit out of my nuts, I couldn't tell you. I know. He's unknown. We would love to have you come on the show, man. This is your personal invitation. Right? <laughs> Ain't nobody leave, mad at you. Leave my dog alone, man. Years, dog. Some niggas, some niggas just be at their peace, man. Whatever it but be. Can my nigga, <laughs> hey, can my nigga hey, just at least get some acknowledgement? <laughs> you know what? Yeah, I, I, I'll tell you about this nigga still, Kato. <laughs> me, me and unknown. I, I will say this, man. When y'all first, we when he first signed y'all, mm-hmm. me and him together. I know this happened because I did it with him. We had a little little cassette, some uh, three little three songs. Yeah, yeah. We would roll through Compton, through different hoods, and get a cassette. That's how you promote the records back in the day. Yeah, definitely. He didn't know where to go. I ain't getting paid on this shit. I ain't got my little, little change, okay? Mm-hmm. And he like, man, come with me, come with me. So me and him would roll up, and the cast would always grab their waistbands and shit. What y'all, nigga, what's up? What's up? Oh, man, hold on. Music, motherfucker, music. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, nigga, take it. And that's how we got the Compton's most wanted thing. Promoted throughout Compton, doing going going hood to hood, or we, the hoods we could go to. Yeah, hood to hood, putting this shit. In yeah, we hands did the same shit. And do we uh, niggas was hitting they hitting they waistbands on us multiple times? Hell, oh man, calm down, Doc. I think I, music, had box, I had a box of them tapes, and I would just roll through the hood, just giving them out, giving them oh, out. Yeah, just giving them motherfuckers away. Shit, eight. Hey. Y'all damn near, man, you know, I was talking to Chio one day. He said, y'all damn near wound up on death row. <sighs> the stories of death row and, you know, like you said, you would have to have Slip and Unknown tell you about those death row days. Uh, I, I know that we all sat up at one time and Unknown told us that he was fucking with Suge and them and that they was finna start a label and that they was looking for a name for it. I think we came up with Death Row sitting up at Hamburger Hamlet one night. That's our spot. Yeah. And I don't know how they ended up with it because we it was a total different It was D E F Row. D E F Row. Remember they had the black coats and the the good fella coats and all of that. Yeah. So supposed to be D E F like Def like Def Jam. Like Def Jam. That's where we got it from. Which uh, and I thought I heard that was a good ass name. Yeah. And then Suge, according to uh, Unknown, Suge bought it from him and changed it to Death Row. Thank you. Bought it so they wouldn't do it. So Unknown Mm -hmm. sold some shit that he didn't even think of. Well, we all thought of it. We were all at the table when we came because Unknown said that they were co- – he had hooked up with Dre and Suge and they was finna try to, you know, they were starting the label and they were looking for it. So Unknown was like, you know, let's think of some names because we as Compton's most wanted as the time um, – I don't know if we had our deal, you know, probably was getting ready to play out with Orpheus or whatever. Was that when he came back to the studio with that black eye? Something. Anon came Anon back with came the back black with the eye. eye. Yeah, that was because <laughs> he had took, I think he had took money from Suge to start working on tracks. And, you know, most of the time, Slip did a lot of the tracks. Yeah. Okay, so he took money from Suge to work on tracks for 
I think the convicts was supposed to be the first group. Okay. Okay. Big Mike and them. Um, but then we were in the middle of working on music to drive by. So that was his excuse for when he had to go up to death row mm. and shug like nigga with my beats. Oh, well, I'm working on Compton's Most Wanted record right now. So, yeah, but you took my money. And that's how he got the black eye. That's that's apparently what I heard. Motherfuckers say it was Wrecking Crew. People always associated us together. Uh, I saw, I forgot, it was, um, damn, what's his attorney's name? He was attorney for uh, for, for um, Dick Griffey. And mm. he says, the record, yeah, Suge beat the record crew up. No, 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 no. No, that, that was unknown. But yes. See, this is why I didn't fuck with that shit. Because I don't, I I don't respond well to that kind of shit. I've I've been there before. I know the simple shit can turn into a life or death situation. Definitely. It ain't that serious for me. Okay? That's why, I, nigga, I tap out. Just Not because I'm a punk. I don't need the headache. Yeah, don't nobody want to deal with all that. All money ain't good all money. money ain't Put good it like money. that. Yeah, no. You know, you got to learn how to, you know, I'm already making some decent money over here. Dude, you know, yes. he, he was making decent money with, you know, the Compton's Most Wanted deal. But, you know. Sometimes, man, that is it, it started looking a little better. You know what I'm saying? So he went over there. You know, he took money from from Suge to do beats, and then most of the time, like I said, Slip was doing a lot of the production. So Slip had his hands full producing Compton's Most Wanted music to drive by. Unknown produced, but you know he was more the you know. Hey, Slip, I'm going to go get us this bread. I'm going to go get us this, you know, to do these beats for sure. And then Anon was at the crib, you know, and chilling with the dog and Cindy. And, <laughs> and you know, and when Suge probably called him up there like, man, where my beats at? And then a nigga told me the story. They said he called him into that room. And he was like, man, you know, I think, I don't know, we gave you about 20, 25 grand. Where's my beats? He said, well, you know, we busy working on Compton's Most Wanted. Suge said, man, I don't give a fuck about Bompton's Most Wanted. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Where my beats. Mm. You know, and and they took off on him. Boop, 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 boop. Yeah, because he came up to, he came over the slips. He came to the studio. And we was like, why you got sunglasses on and it's nighttime, yeah. nigga? And you inside the studio. It's dark as fuck is here. And I think he took the glasses off. And we was like, what the fuck happened to you? He came to my studio. He was, I said, think, think of what happened. Wrong place, wrong time. Yeah, yeah. Wrong it. place. Think of what happened. That red wrong room. Wrong time. Yeah. That was, just, that was the story. Yeah, that was the story. She, she, he ain't got to feel bad. He ain't the only nigga to kick some black eyes coming about that motherfucker. Nah, it is. Yeah, I heard it was a gang of niggas got their asses whooped up at that at that at that office. A whole bunch of ass whoopings going on. Is it worth the hassle? Oh, but yeah, you remember Happy Parade? Remember, remember Happy with the one producer? What was the manager name? I forget Happy's last name. Did you know Happy? No. It was a cat. I think he was B Real's manager. He managed B Real. Them. He got out the management game. They found that dude walking down Wilshire, man, with his shirt off, like his shirt that got tore off of him. Hands halfway toward these niggas walking down the street, just eyes on swole, and just didn't, and, and said he wasn't returning none of his clients' phone calls. That nigga just left the music industry. See? 
This shit ain't worth it, dog. I'm going to tell you, man, I've had some of the biggest kind of podcasts, podcasts that are huge now in the paperwork. I just let niggas go, dog, because it ain't worth the fucking headaches, man, dog. Man, look, I had my DJing back in the day, and I had my club, I had a club called The Current Affair, right? Mm-hmm. Niggas get so caught up in other niggas' beefs. You'll get drunk and some shit. Nigga, I'm just playing a record. I'm playing No Vaseline at the club, right? Mm-hmm. And people, the people on the floor is damn because No Vaseline is probably one of the baddest fucking diss records for his dance floor, period, right? Mm-hmm. And this nigga walks into the walk to the DJ booth, and I got my headphones on. He talking shit, but I ain't really paying no attention to shit. And, he, and the nigga tapped me on my shoulder. I said, "What's up, dog? Man, take that shit off. The fuck you, mean take it off. Dance flow pack. Take that shit off, man." And so the record kept on playing. By the time I got through arguing with this nigga, the record had already gone off. I said, nigga, what's up with you? Oh, man, that shit's dissing my people. Dissing who? Dre and Cube them. I mean, uh, Dre and uh, Easy them. I said, do you know them? No, man, but that's just dissing my shit. Fuck that song. <laughs> nigga. Niggas take shit personal, man. Personal. Fans take shit personal, off, man. Real shout talk. Out, shout out to Mac 10, man, Putting on an epic concert, man, on Saturday night, man. For sure. You know, A got busy, man. He had homie Cam up there, J.O. Felony, man. Spice One, Bone Thugs, Harmony the Dog Pound. It was cracking. Good night, man. I'm going out the back of the club, right? I go I go to the back, and I'm coming back in. Some nigga bumped shoulders with me. I'm thinking it's somebody I know, right? And he whispers something in my ear. I don't hear him because we in motion, kind of. And I hear him say something about the show, then I hear him mention one of the former co-host names. So I turn around and say, man, what you say? Oh, no, I'm just saying. I'm like, nigga, do I know you? People insert themselves into other people's bullshit, man. It's more than they don't lost their life, dog, arguing behind some shit they don't know nothing about. No. your business. Yeah, your your opinion is is... The, your opinion is is not warranted by by fans and motherfuckers on serious shit because they take they take shit way to the left, man. You know, because I get I've gotten comments about nigga, fuck you, because you made a comment about Tupac in the Hughes Brothers movie and whatever happened to Tupac and whatever. Niggas hate when you just make references to their fame. Oh, you can't say nothing about Tupac, dog. You say something about Tupac, niggas gonna be in your inbox, dog. You a hater. You stay hating on Pac. You don't know me. You don't know what I hate on my... I got playlists devoted to this nigga. On my motherfucking thing, you talk about I hate Tupac. I don't got no reason to hate Tupac. We are, this show is about commentary and other people's opinions. Definitely. And the motherfucker got a right to have an opinion. You got a right to have your own good opinion. You know what I'm saying? This motherfuckers that tell me, it's motherfuckers that waste their time. Oh, man, I don't fuck with the show no more because of this. But checks you on here every day. Here you come again with your same comment. I've had people, man, get on me trying to get my my, my co-host, Dusty, got to try to throw him off the show. Nigga, I'm, you mad at Dusty because he said something on his show? I'm going to cast him off of my show because he said something on his show that you didn't like. I don't even know you like that. That's what I'm saying, man. This shit That's is my crazy, dog. Bro. We do the Oh, check out our show, folks. NWA Stories with Lonzo every, two, every Tuesday at 6 o'clock. And Dusty Vision, uh, he does his show. I forgot what day he does his show. But, yeah, uh, we got it going on. Oh, for sure. I definitely know y'all do your, doing your thing over there, man. I want to ask you, I want to go back and see. You kind of like a history professor, dog. Yeah, that's what, wait, yeah, yeah. I am a, wait, wait. When it comes to West Coast hip-hop history, the fucking early days, how did you? How did, how did 76 you, to 89. How did you meet, how did y'all all start 
like with the record shit? What made y'all? How did you be? Ain't unknown from Detroit, right? He's from Detroit. Okay, so he came out here when? He came out here about 77. He was about 17 years old when I met him. Mm. He was 17. I was, I was 19. I'm, I'm two years older than he is. Uh, my record thing starts back in Compton, right there on Walnut. I was over there. I passed by the spot the other day between Central and Wilmington. There used to be a place called Record Shack. They sold records to all the VIPs. And so the dis- I'm talking about the disco era. So it was like a one-stop then. With a one-stop, okay. exactly. With a one-stop. I got a job. I first got Roger from Uncle Jam's Army the job there first in the sales room. I'm a d- Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. 
This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. DJ, I'm a young DJ, no records. I'm trying to buy records wholesale. I don't have a wholesale license, but I saw in the paper, new record, sh record shack opened it up in Compton. So I called the people up to see what's happening. Just so happened the dude to answer the phone, his name was Alonzo too. So we kept, we got to kicking it. He offered me a job, sight unseen. I said, no, nah, I already got a job. I'm working at Kenny's on Rose Kansas Central. I'm slinging shoes. And I got a good thing with my manager. I get off at 6 o'clock on Saturdays to go do my, my DJ gigs and shit. So I call Roger, Uncle Jam's Army, turn him on to the job. He gets the job. A couple weeks later, they call up. They got a part-time position in the evening times working in the warehouse. I take the job. So I got two jobs. Actually, I got three jobs. I'm working there, working Kenny's, and I'm still DJing on the weekend. I'm 20 years old. I'm 20. So now we're doing this shit back and forth. We rolled them back and forth to Record Shack. So at one point in time, I got a kid now. I had a kid fresh out of high school. Her birthday was, she had Gemini too. Birthday was Monday. It went Saturday. Happy Sunday. Birthday. Sunday. She was, she turned, she was born on the uh, 11th of June. I graduated high school on the, on the 12th of June. I turned 18 on the 16th of June. My whole life been, I've been grinding ever since. Okay. So now I got a kid. My dad got me a job working for Caltrans on the freeway. Mm -hmm. I didn't work there in the summertime a couple of times. I didn't like that shit. That shit dangerous. I didn't like that shit either. Okay, yeah, that so you've been there. Yeah, because when you when you when you are youth and you get you go to jail, oh, that's one of your punishments. Okay. Caltrans. Yeah, Caltrans. So I'm working. I'm working at Caltrans on the 605. Yeah, it wasn't a job that I went oh, out for. It wasn't I, had, no, nigga, I was I was getting paid for it. Was, I didn't like the motherfucker. My okay, fucking ass was coming out of camp, so, so that's one of your punishments. So yeah, so I didn't want to go back to Caltrans, so I got a chance to go full time. And because my old man was kicking me in the ass because I got this kid, he like, man, you got you got to go out there and get this, do this freeway shit, man. Fuck. 
but they offered me a full-time job at Record Shack to sell records full-time. I didn't work at Caltrans. I'm coming home dirty, smelling like goddamn freeway every day. I didn't work. Not, I didn't got a taste of work of the office life. I go to work clean, come home clean, nigga, still sniper like cologne and shit at five o'clock. <laughs> yeah. So I want to do this shit, but I ain't making no money. I ain't making that much money. But I'm but I'm DJing on the weekend. I'm getting I'm getting 150 every Friday, Saturday, sometimes Sunday. So I'm getting 300 to 450 every weekend. But I'm only I'm working full time at Record Shack. I'm bringing home $166 a week, nigga. <laughs> the math is bad. I'm working three days, making 450. Working five days, making 166. But what changed the game for me was I didn't care about the little paycheck. I'd go in the warehouse, pull all my records for my parties on the weekend. They I, they was paying me 166. By the time I get all my records, double copies and shit. I'm clocking up with fifteen dollars sometime, twenty dollars. Mm-hmm. I got a brand new van. I'm cleaning the chitlin every damn day. They thought I was stealing, so I had a I, but I had a hustle. My old man, when I told my old man I was I wasn't gonna work for Caltrans because he was the king of Caltrans back then. I worked for this record company. We fell the fuck out. We fell out. I've been I've been number one son champ all my life. That night I told him I wasn't going to work for Caltrans. I was a stupid, dumb motherfucker with a kid that's going to be homeless if you don't get your shit together. Fuck you. I put you in a position to do shit. He cussed me out. I go work for Record Shack. But when I'm at Record Shack, I go back. When I go back to Record Shack, I'm in the sales room. I met Kelvin, the VIP. Mm-hmm. I met Cletus. I met all these fucking, v- all these independent record stores in Nevada. In Washington D.C., I mean Washington, Seattle, Washington, uh, Arizona. That, these were my accounts. Yeah, Cletus owned the one stop. He, the Cletus, uh, Cletus owned Big Ben's, which is bigger than a one stop. Mm-hmm. He was he damn near was a he was damn near was a one stop at one time. You talking about John over on Main Street? He had a one stop. Yeah, well, but no, Cletus had opened up some shit like in the nineties. Um, Remember the oh, shit you, they had in Lemur Park? What was the shit? Oh they yeah, had yeah, in yeah, 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 yeah. You're right, you're right, you're yeah, right. That, my and bad. a lot of people don't know. My bad, them my VIP bad. Records. That's little, shout out to the little homie Ab Soul that's on TDE. <laughs> yeah, he was. That's getting, his uncle. That's his family. Cletus was getting so many records. He was able to take. They would take a goddamn semi truck. Just park it in the back of the lot, let them un- unload the motherfucker. He, he was buying so many, he was moving so much product back then. But when I left Record Shack, uh, when I got fired, finally got fired, I kept my record list, all my mm. stores and shit. About two, about a couple years later, I opened the Eve After Dark. Right before I opened, before I opened the Eve After Dark, me and Unknown started doing these bootleg mixes. So I called all my old accounts, Cletus and Kelvin, to sell these bootlegs. So I'm in the record business now, okay? I'm going to the swap meets. I'm making a shitload of money, and I got the Eve After Dark. So I created my own little distribution network back in like '82. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm, but I'm making these records. These they technically illegal, though. Technically, I don't know what the penalty is. All I know is on every record you see, it says federal copyright. Federal means fed, penitentiary you feds. Go to jail. I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to the feds, okay? Mm-hmm. So I wanted to go legit. I bring in Run DMC at Eve After Dark. Run, first I bring in Curtis Blow. Curtis Blow, great show. We still cool today behind that shit. I bring in Run DMC. They ain't shit in LA yet. They cost me $500, three plane tickets, and hotel rooms. I bring them to the Eve. They rock the Eve. 
But they didn't do all that good. They went like Curtis Blow. Curtis Blow, you know, he got the party cuts. Mm-hmm. When Run DMC rocked the crowd, Run, they only they played for 15 minutes. I'm like, nigga, that's it. Curtis did like 35 minutes. 15 minutes, nigga, two songs. And then Run did the ultimate fuck up. He dropped my mic and broke the motherfucker. And nigga still dropped. He, that's what I'm saying. Dropping mic. He <laughs> dropped my say, mic and broke the motherfucker. Run like nigga what? Nigga, this Run's house. When he nigga. broke my mic, pissed me off. <laughs> he broke my mic, he pissed me off. And that's when I said, make my own goddamn group. Fuck it. Right by that time I made clientele, Yellow was already there. And we started, I knew how to make records. We made our first song, was called Slice. Yeah. Okay, and you know, you know, I remember Slice. You, know, you remember Surgery? Yeah. Slice was the first one. Slice sounds just like Run DMC, mm-hmm. like a Run DMC record, but it wasn't. It wasn't West Coast. It was East Coast vibe. And this shit might have went aluminum. Okay, but that was our introduction to the record business. And then by that time, Dre Dre was on the crew, and we made uh we went on made Surgery. Surgery How was you the shit. Dre, up in there? Dre how Dre coming to fold? <clears throat> Crazy part, me and Dre grew up on the same street. Dre lived four houses down from me, but he's 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 uh, eight years younger than me. Mm. His dad and my older sister was all partners, so I knew all his uncles and shit. I used to you know hang out with his uncles and shit. So when I come to and I open the Eve, I open the Eve. I'm 22. By the time I meet Dre, I'm 24. It's a couple years after I open the Eve up, right? He's 16, maybe 17. Okay, so. He wants to come into the club with Easy, and I'm like, because at that time, the dress code for clubs was pimped out. Yeah. You had to have hard sole shoes and, you know, a collared shirt, slacks. There wasn't no jeans and tennis shoes back then. They come up wearing jeans and tennis shoes. Now, y'all can't come in. And Dre hit me, hey, man, you know you know my people do, blah, 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 Deborah and Floyd and Lloyd, them, them my uncles. Oh, okay, cool, man. Tell you what, change your clothes, come back. You're good to go. Because technically, the Eve, I had it 18 and over. Dre was too young, but because I knew his people, I could give him a pass. I could do that. It was 18 because I made it 18 because I didn't want the motherfucker to be rumper room. I'd rather be more like soul trained than rumper room. Mm-hmm. Too many young kids, you know, shit, get to run around and want to play tag and shit. Fuck that. So I made it 18 and over to keep it, you know, keep it on the, on the grown tip. Sophisticated. Sophisticated. Thank you. And when he came back, I let him up. But Easy still was dressed street. Nah, you can't come in. And he got to talking shit. So, I, nigga, get the fuck out of here with that bullshit. Easy was talking shit. He was talking, oh, nigga, I can't just eat up the dark. I ain't got to get done. Yes, you do, motherfucker. If you want to come in my spot, you do. And people think me and Easy hate each other. No, we didn't hate, hate each other. We both two shit talking motherfuckers. So he talked shit. I talked shit back to him. Even after he got paid, we still talk shit to each other. Little motherfucker, give me my goddamn money. Oh, Jerry Curl. Nigga, you got a Jerry Curl too. You shit leaking like mine. So this is the kind of this, this is the kind of relationship me and Easy Easy came to my house after he was rich. After he was paid, the nigga still came by the pad. Nobody else did that. Nobody else come by the hung out the pad. Because Yellow was doing them pornos in the studio. Mm-hmm. Easy would come by and hang the fuck out. So so Yellow was doing them pornos over at your career? Yeah, he started doing this porno. He started his porno career at my house in the Man, studio. That nigga Yellow, I saw a porno that nigga had one day. He had a broad on there that was about 70 years old, dog. <laughs> I said, God damn, you going, going to hell. You going to hell. That nigga said, you going to hell, man. That lady was on that porn. Oh, that lady was on that porn. Oh, oh. <laughs> 
I'm saying, well, man, I'm saying, this is horrible. I'll tell you about this shit, man. Yeah, Watch so, your so, content, so man. When it comes to, <laughs> like I tell cats, man, a lot of the cats that I worked with don't know my history, man. They don't know how deep I go in this shit. You know, I can't get mad at Dre for not knowing, for not being more appreciative of what I had to go through, because he don't fucking know. Yes, Cube man. talk about me more than anybody. Cube, he he understands I did some shit. He he don't know. You gotta understand. I'm 65. I'm 12 years older than Cube. When I open the Eve, I'm 22. Cube is fucking 10. 12. He's 12. Mm-hmm. Okay. Why would a 12-year-old motherfucker be hanging out with a 20-year-old motherfucker? Drake couldn't even come to the club initially till a couple years later. And only he got in then because I knew his people. Mm-hmm. See what I'm saying? So it's, they, they weren't around in the early days of West Coast hip-hop when I'm doing these, doing these gigs three, four times a weekend. They didn't carry no 1200s with me. They carried it eventually. They, they didn't have to carry it. They didn't have to worry about the shit I had to go through. You know, the crazy, the fucked up promoters and shit like that. By, by the time they got to me, I was specializing in school dancing for Compton High, Centennial, Verb mm-hmm. Day and shit. They were doing all that shit. Now, we, now with you and Easy being as tight as y'all was, because y'all was friends. It was cool. You know, y'all was cool. When you saw the manner in which he died, man, did that kind of raise some red flags? Yeah, red flags still flagging, still blowing in the wind right to this day. Because one thing I think about, man, shout out to Easy E, man. You know, without him, you know, he's one of the godfathers of this gangster shit. You know what I mean? Was the godfather of the gangster shit. Yeah. You know, um, um, when you think about that, man, like, um, with the amount of kids he got, ain't nobody came up sick. I ain't seen not one woman, because Easy was out there. Easy was getting that little house he had in Norwalk. I've been over there a couple of times. You know what I'm talking about? The yeah. one that's up under the 605. He liked the house of no more. You remember that? You ever been over the house, eight? No, I, I knew about it. I never went there. I went over there one time. I actually just ran into one of my homies. He was signed to him because you know a bunch. Ruthless had a gang of niggas signed to Ruthless. Right. Mm-hmm. Never came out. One of my partners, man, he had took me and the homie over there one day. And when I tell you it was bros running out that motherfucker dog, it was cracking. Nobody came up sick, my nigga. And just the manner, and they said, and they said the man had just got a life insurance policy like two or three months earlier. I don't think the AIDS virus operate like that, my nigga. He didn't even get to have HIV. It's just like this nigga's all of a sudden oh, he dying of AIDS. Dude, I remember the first person I ever heard die from AIDS was Rock Hudson. Mm-hmm. Back in the day. Mm-hmm. And for damn near seven, eight months, they would give you a blow-by-blow description of his condition as he died from AIDS on the fucking news every day. Yeah. Rock Hudson is resting comfortably in his Beverly Hills home as he suffers from the effect of AIDS. And this, I mean, I'm like, when is this motherfucker going to die? Okay? Easy and Magic had had that shit about the same time. Magic ain't never turned into AIDS. Magic had HIV. Now nah, he is undetectable. Right. And, he, and they both had money at the same time. Very suspicious, Doc. Very suspicious, man. Who would want Easy dead though, dog? Oh no, dude. You know, there's a lot of conspiracy theories. Some people said it was Suge because Suge made that stupid ass comment on the Arsenio Hall show about the uh, eat my the E D thing with the jab. That was kind of stupid. But but then they then people looked at the timelines. He wasn't Suge was not in contact with Easy. If you ask Kid Frost, Easy was trying to do that uh, acupuncture. 
He felt that somebody made a guy him through the acupuncture. Um, you know, it was all kind of. Even still, though, even if a motherfucker did hit him with the shit with the acupuncture, he's go go. He might very well still be alive. Should have been. I mean, should have had HIV first. Yeah, that's what right. I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? It's just just the stages strange. just went too fucking right. dramatically quick for it. Uh, you right. know, that's the part that always shook people up. I don't know if I told you that, but um, I'm in the process of getting the street name at the EZE right now. Well, that's dope. That We've already got the paperwork done. In fact, I'm waiting on the email right now from the city manager of Compton to uh, find out when I when I go before the city city council uh, to get it approved. It's already been technically approved. Everybody said they're going to vote for it. Right. I've already talked to everybody. They said, no, no problem, no problem. But we got to go before the city council to do an actual, put it on the agenda, get an actual vote on it. And make it happen. I, I gave, uh, I put a big A and a little E on up on the game. I'm surprised already. that hasn't been done. You know what? They tried it before, man, and for some reason they couldn't get it passed. But I think now, because with the 50th anniversary of hip hop, right? And uh, you know, I'm pushing for it because I'm the president of the Compton Entertainment Chamber of Commerce. Mm-hmm. I'm working on a Walk of Fame, a Hall of Fame, or some other things in Compton. And that's one of the first things I'm doing. I mean, that's why again. I'm just doing what the fuck I do right now. That's on my platform. It's, it's, it's to get people recognized. When it comes to rappers, dog, especially out of Southern California, the city of Compton has produced more MCs. You got this man right here sitting next to us, right? Right. You got him. You got Tiny T. You got King T. I'm talking about from the legendary niggas on up to the new Kendrick, Kendrick Lamar. I, I got a question for you. Huh? Who's the first, who the first uh, musical group out of Compton? You know? The first musical group out of Compton. Okay. Uh, bad motherfuckers, too. I couldn't tell you we that. We ain't talking about no busters. Talking about some bad motherfuckers. Most people don't know. Are they rappers or? Nope. Singers. They singers. They sing. I know it's a, who is it? War. War is from Compton? War out of Compton, baby. War is some bad motherfuckers. Bad motherfuckers. Did you know out of Compton. Hell no. We most and cats I, don't know that, man. I play, I play they shit like on, regularly. Hell yeah. Man, that's the shit. The world is a ghetto and all that shit. The world is a ghetto, man. Come on, dude. That is the shit. Don't let no, don't let nobody get you down. That none shit. of that's that why shit. I'm doing what I'm doing now. I'm a grown ass ARP carry motherfucker. I ain't did a gig in that mid two years. I'm looking to do some more shit just to have some fun. But in the meantime, I'm trying to get people recognized, man. Put them up on some history, dude. Well, you know what though? It definitely need to be a Walk of Fame in Compton. Where are you talking about putting it at? Right there, my Walk of Fame. I'm looking to put that right by the transit center, right behind the Dollar High Center, right by the train station, mm-hmm. the first train station. It's a big old area out there. There's ain't nothing in that motherfucker. And it's a building, a brand new building. Ain't nobody in the building. I'm working with the city, uh, the uh, metro, and the why county. Do all that the shit. Si- why don't you think the city has never done that for none of us artists out of the city of Compton? You know what, dude? Uh, this is why I formed the Compton Entertainment Chamber of Commerce. Because the city of Compton got so much shit to do. Like potholes. Exactly. Trees. That city council got shit to do. Well, you know, if if they start building a walk of fans and shit without without having a third party doing that shit, they go, nigga, what about these potholes, motherfucker? Exactly, because that's just how we. Niggas gonna get that's mad. Just how so niggas are acting. A, a brother like me who's been doing shit in Compton forever could go to a sponsor. If I can get once I get permission, hey, we gonna put we gonna put the walk of fame right here. I can go to a sponsor and say, hey, look, Nike, uh, whoever, I need I need a sponsor for this walk of fame for these folks out of Compton. Do it, do it, do it just like they do, uh, the Staples Center or um, or um, Crypto Center. It, it, it's uh, the Compton Walker Fame sponsored by the Crypto Center or whoever. That's mm-hmm. the, that's the plan. 
So, but it takes a lot of fucking effort. I've been working this shit for two years. Mm. It's taken six months to get from the first yes to where we are right now, which is easy. I'm trying to get it done by his birthday. And you would think that people who knew the history of what artists and, and what entertainers have done for the city, that it would be like a unanimous thing. Like, yeah. You would think. It bring a light. Yeah, but to, yeah, but like you said, uh, you know, niggas in the city would be like, "Nigga, shit, we need potholes fixed." This yeah, shit. Well, y'all trying to, to y'all trying to beautify a walk of fame, nigga. It's fucking knee deep potholes right. around here. Hell yeah, but still though, you want to share some good light in the city, man. Because you got talk to about all the other shit. You got but to. But it's more positive shit to come out of Compton than negative. You got shit, to. to be real with you, right? I mean, when you got some of the biggest and baddest people, Venus, Serena, Drake, Kendrick, BMW, yeah. all these folks come out of Compton, man, war. Not to mention George Bush used to live there at one time. Kevin Costner come out of Compton. You got man, you got all kind of cats. You know what I Compton. think with war would happen, dog? I, I think Long Beach was laying claim to war for a minute because I think I saw something about that, that they was from Long Beach or something like that. War used to be the house band at Jeffy's before they became war. They were called something else. I forgot the name of them. But <clears throat> they were the house band. I met Howard and Lonnie at Jeffy's before Jeffy died years ago and talked about how he used to play at, how he used to play at Jeffy's. All of them were from Compton, but enough of them were from Compton High School to justify being mm. from Compton High School. Yeah. Some of them came out. Some, they may, some of them may have came from Long Beach. I'm not sure. Yeah, it makes sense. Two neighboring yeah. cities and they in the band together. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Everybody, you know, every, you know and people like come CW and go. You had members that was from Inglewood. Yeah, Mike T was from Inglewood. Right. Shit, Slip was from fucking what? Hawthorne, Gardena. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And you ain't see it was from Compton. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but you know they always gonna claim Compton. Compton, man, the city of Compton has global recognition. Definitely. I was in a little group uh, earlier this year for Harvard. Man, Harvard University had me on this pro on this program. Me and people from Compton to trying to figure out ways to make Compton better. And we were the only ones, only all black, all, all uh, not black, all uh, minority group. Everybody else was white, okay? We walk in that motherfucker, they think we, I guess they thought we were going to be sagging and shit. I don't know. But they were surprised that we could speak, you know, we could talk like we got some goddamn sense. And we did all their assignments and kicked ass when all the smoke was cleared. Why do you think a section as, you know, as we are as far as Compton was able to produce so much motherfucking talent? In such a small section, Compton at, first, at one time, man, was because, like you said, you know, we've had everything from fucking artists to fucking Venus and Serena yeah. to like we've had a lot of shit come out of Compton. Compton is a, I think, because it's such a small city, you get like anything you got, you got that pressure to succeed. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Compton yeah, because I had to. Get, I was like, God damn, I got to get about this motherfucker, man. Yeah. I think everybody that come from them impoverished areas, man, is always motivated to get on. Because I know that was my main goal when I was a kid in Cleveland, was to get the fuck up out that motherfucker by any means necessary. Compton was the first city was one of it was it was white for years. Mm-hmm. Then it became black. It was like the, one of the first black cities with a black mayor and shit like that. So you got a lot of people that migrated to Compton, like my dad. I used to live on Magnolia, Magnolia, Magnolia mm-hmm. Street off of Wilmington as a kid. Then we moved out just outside of Compton. But everything I did was in Compton, schools, everything. So it just it was a, it was LA was so big, 
Long right. Beach was white for decades. Yeah. Linwood was white for decades. Paramount was white for decades. Mm-hmm. Carson didn't exist yet. Carson didn't come out to the 60s. Damn, I didn't know that. Carson ain't that old. Carson might be, I think they celebrating their 55th anniversary. Growing up like in, yeah, growing up in Compton, you didn't venture nowhere. Yeah. You know we what stayed always- in fucking Compton. We didn't go to L.A. We didn't go to Long Beach. We didn't go to Paramount. None of that shit. We just stayed in Compton. You didn't go to Paramount? Hell no. <clears throat> now I went everywhere because my daddy cut lines. He cut lines in Paramount, Downey, Long Beach, Torrance, Palace Verges, Gardena. So I'm, I've always been exposed to different shit close to me, and it just gave me a different perspective. Yeah, I, I can see that, man. But Compton definitely, even Suge, man, even though people focus a lot of times on the bad shit that Suge did, Suge did monumental shit. You know, speaking of which, I know Dick Griffey helped him out a lot. What's you and Dick Griffey's relationship? Was y'all cool? I met Dick Griffey like everybody else did. At one point in time, when Dick, when Dick Griffey heard about McCola and what he was doing over there, Dick Griffey going to play the big the big homie, I could give all y'all record deals. Come over here to, you know, to Solar Records, and I could do the same thing for you. But the nigga contract, nigga, that contract was... By, this time, by the time he did that shit, we knew how to read contracts. Oh, I can't fuck with this motherfucker right here. Oh, hell Man. no. But he was gonna get you, huh? he, oh, nigga, he's gonna stick to his name. It's gonna be some dick up in this contract, okay? <laughs> be some dick in that contract. But because Suge came in through another source, Suge came through Big West. Mm-hmm. Big mm-hmm. West was the body was he he ran security for Dick Griffey. Dick Griffey was a concert promoter. Him, Don Cornelius, all these cats, they would do concerts at the forum. And Big West ran a security company called um, NES, National Event Security. That, that They were hiring, when I was a youngster, they were hiring ex-cons, and they would crack a nigga in the head for passing out flyers back in the day. That's when they had the forum, and across the street at the racetrack, they had um, a hotel, and we'd leave the forum and cross the street, go to the hotel for the after party. That was, that was Big West's shit. Big West, uh, Big Mike. All of them. And Suge came under Big West's, um, his security thing for a while. And that was after the the, uh, the big company. But Dick Griffey was always in the record business because he started Solar. But him and Don Cornelius was tight because Don had the Soul Train. Mm-hmm. And that's how you got Shalimar and all these other acts, the Whispers and Lakeside and shit. Mm-hmm. Lakeside used to be the house band for my boy, um... John Carter at Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. 
Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, A military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. fucking proud bird and they was Ohio Lakeside Express fresh off the motherfucking boat. 
That's crazy, man. So everything is all peace and love. Always. Yeah, definitely. It's always been. Always. I just had to come out and hang out with y'all for a minute. That's yeah, that's it. Yeah. Show. For sure, man, because you can have a disagreement, man, without it being a whole bunch of bullshit. You know what? It wasn't a disagreement. It's just like, I'm like, damn. Could have used another word, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's all. Could have used another word. It's just my, my opinion of, of, of the dance era, man. And, you know, be, being influenced by, uh, you know, like I said, I listened to. It was just our era of music, man. Um, you know, we had Bobby Jimmy and the Critters yeah, Bobby, and shit. Yeah. We talked about this shit. Yeah. Me and my boys was walking the other day, and I talked about this situation, and we talked about all the people that came up in that era. Bobby Jimmy and the Critters, they was Weird Al Gankovich. What did I tell you? Yeah, that's what, it was. That's that's what, what that motherfucker made. That's what I told money, you. How much money you, Weird Al Gankovich made? Yeah. That motherfucker got paid doing that shit. That that par- the parody rap. Yeah. He from, uh, Linwood. He from Linwood? Linwood. Yeah, he, he Linwood. is from Linwood. Now, crazy. understand this. Understand us, man. Aside from trying to get laid and making records, <laughs> okay, we had, we, had, we was competing with... Motherfucking Michael Jackson yeah. and fucking Tina Marie and Rick James and Prince. All these bad motherfuckers at the same. We all came out in the 80s. How in the fuck can I compete with Michael Jackson or Prince? All I'm trying to do is get get me a little get me a motherfucking little niche and rock that motherfucker. Mm. Okay. LA, we're gonna come up with a new sound. LA uh electro funk is part. We got part of this shit from Soul Sonic Force. From uh, New York, mm-hmm. some of the shit we got from Craftwork. I can't wear I can't wear the same clothes as Grandmaster Flash and Figures Five. These niggas is wearing feathers and moccasins. I can't fuck with that shit. So I'm gonna do the sequin shit. All right, we some pretty motherfuckers. We some pretty boy motherfuckers trying to get laid. Okay, and when you play when you oh, when you play with Ready for the World, more stay in the time. I told y'all all that. these motherfuckers, all, all, all the niggas that. we rocking with. I said that was the era. It was that ready was the for era. the world. Niggas had a little, yeah. niggas had a little, little lip gloss on. Okay, I washed my face though. I'm done with that shit. <laughs> okay, I had a Jerry curl. <laughs> nigga ain't got no hair no more. But we all did. Okay, well, I think that Jerry curl took everybody's motherfucking hair, dog. Man, you know what? Of all the shit I've ever done, I get asked about the Jerry curl morning any damn thing. And if anybody know about the Jerry curl, not only was it a fashion statement, but if you got into a fight. And and get got that shit into the niggas' eyes. You can whoop his Burning motherfucking like ass, a motherfucker. Yes, huh? indeed. And you finna win that fight. You get in the Jerry curls, you the niggas' eyes. He's blind as fuck. It was definitely like a fashion thing. statement. Okay. Shit. Every gangster in LA had a Jerry curl. You had your curl. Yeah, we had me alone. <laughs> Look okay. at this. You know what though? My curl would only grow for so. It was crazy. The front of my hair grew. More than my motherfucking hair, so I had this shit to the side like this. This yeah. nigga said he had the flock of seagulls shit. That nigga had the flock of seagulls with yeah. the shit. My to the shit side. would grow real good up to about right on my neck. But I always want that long Jerry curl. I want a long one too, but you know what would trip me out though, man. I remember what? my mama first bought that kitchen curl shit on. And I they uh, tore my ass up in school the next day. Because you know them kitchen curls, it would only be a part part of the hair be like an afro. Nah, yeah, be like curling. That was and, just and, you, and had that you had that dry sidewinder. Well, I tell you what, man. yeah, what's worse than that, nigga. When I went to school, when I was Centennial, I'm 16 years old. I used to have a big ass natural for real, okay. But I saw the Superfly album cover, with the nigga had the perm. Mm. I went and get my shit pressed and curled for right during the Easter vacation. I went back to school. My shit was luxurious, and man, luxurious, luxurious. And the niggas talked me out of my hairstyle, man. 
Look at this nigga. Look like a bitch. Woo, woo, woo. I got yeah. called all kind of names. Yeah. Cool, Most man. of the time, that be niggas hating. Niggas be a secretly admiring. But wait, 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 wait. Niggas, I, ain't I ain't do this. this. I, I ain't do yet. Yeah, but gangster niggas would put mother- hair out. The same motherfuckers that talk shit about my hair, niggas still had that shit pressed and curled yep. at the reunion 25 years later. Now, the nigga look like George Jefferson in the middle, but all this shit right here look like Ben Franklin. No bullshit. Same motherfuckers that was talking this shit in the 10th grade which had this what, shit still pressed. Nigga, I seen a gang of, I seen a gang of hood niggas. Huh? I seen a gang of niggas in the hood with, with rollers Hell in their yeah. pressing hey, curls. Nigga, that was a thing in the hood. I don't know if you saw the brother at, at the show Saturday night. It was a nigga walking around backstage, man. That nigga was kind of swole. He looked like he just came up off the yard. This nigga had his rollers up in that motherfucker. He was on swole, and he had rollers in his shit still. Oh, yeah, that's shit? old school, nigga. That's old school. That nigga had rollers school. in his shit, though. Yeah, I yeah. used to know the homies used to get their shit. Because it was the rollers, man. The blue rollers, man. They motherfuckers green. I think he came hey, up with the homie Mitchell Slick. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, probably came with Mitch, he did. Yeah, he came with Mitch. He had some green rollers in his hair. He was kind of swole. He was just standing yeah, up. Yeah, that's their neighborhood colors, green. See? But, yeah, man, it was a different time, man. So when, when It I tell, definitely was a different time, man. I tell niggas, I tell people all the time, man, when I was so influenced, my per, I'm personally, I know music has a super, a super powerful influence on people because when I was a youngster, I was a big Curtis Bayfield fan. Curtis Mayfield did all that black revolutionary music. I love Curtis Mayfield. Okay? Mm-hmm. But when he did Superfly, that shit changed my life forever. I wanted to be a junior pimp, baby. Mm. I, wanted, I wanted to join the Junior Pimp Academy. Because I wouldn't got my shit, I got my shit pressed and curled. I got me a maxi coat. I was even got my, I even, nigga, I even had some baking soda. Sniffing that shit in front of my cousin. My cousin kicked my ass behind that shit. Nigga, what the yeah. fuck is you doing? Yeah. I got baking Trying to be cool and shit. Nigga, I'm sipping baking soda. Niggas was on that powder back in the day. Yeah. Powder was like some ball of shit. Nigga, no, I, I ain't going to tell it myself. <laughs> but yeah, you had some powder back in the yeah, day. Yeah, you was a baller. Yeah. Okay. Trust me, I was a baller. Yeah. Okay? Trust me, I was a baller. I just said, well, I'll tell you today, yeah. nigga, back in the wait, day, wait. niggas who had that pure powder, nigga, if niggas had, was some ballers, nigga. Check this out, though, man. I remember... Well, the reason why I even wanted to try this shit, because they was pumping it on the news like it was like it was some brand new shit, man. Mm-hmm. Because it would tell you all oh, the new party drug of the eighties, yeah. cocaine. It's all over clubs in New York, in the yeah. in Chicago, and you know, motherfucker get the party and that shit hit L.A. I'm like, give me some of that shit. Okay, give me some of that shit twice. How that powder make a nigga feel? Like you can kick everybody's ass. Yeah. Like you can fuck a motherfucker up. Like you, I was always scared of that cocaine. But you gotta be scared. Yeah, you, gotta, man. you gotta watch that shit. I was scared of that cocaine. You ain't never. You ain't ever took your bump still. Hell no. I'm gonna tell y'all why. Go ahead. I, As a nigga I, coming up in the crack era. Yes. In the crack era, That's, I saw what that shit. That shit destroyed my neighborhood, dog. I'm talking about niggas. You know how you look up to certain niggas. Mm-hmm. The niggas that had to fly. Um, Deuce and quarters and all that shit. They had the fly rides. I saw niggas go from having them fly rides and the pretty girls' dog to where they was walking. It was like a process. Now they walking. They still clean a little bit, right? They still going to work. But then they just hobos, my nigga. They just walking yeah. down the street looking like bums. I was yeah. scared of that shit. I yeah, having it, having the experience of either having friends or family members going through that shit, that shit, it, it, it terrified me. 
uh, to where I didn't want to do nothing. I used to think like, nigga, I didn't even want to smoke weed for a long time. And and but you know that didn't last for too long. Now, you know what? Cocaine was uh, introduced to the hood first. See, cocaine. You gotta understand, cocaine, real cocaine, was a gentleman's drug. It wasn't something that you saw youngsters to fucking with, man. Uh, uh, before crack came out, a uh, uh, a kilo of cocaine was thirty grand, man. It was, if if cast his soul cocaine would not be a, that kid nowhere in, the, nowhere in the room with that shit no man that was a whole different thing back then it was like the old dudes did that shit at the after after hours to stay up mm-hmm. to fuck with the young girls and if you had some of that shit you was considered a motherfucking baller it's like nigga having having Cristal back in the 80s right yeah Cristal nigga you was a baller you got you, nigga, you give a nigga a bump nigga shit this nigga you, you was what it, it, it just was a status symbol man only problem on the was you couldn't put that shit in your socket. That shit melt like water. Hell no, that shit, man. I was always scared of that shit. Then when I saw the one dude, Liam Byers, that the basketball player, that the way he did, I was like, man, what the fuck? I wasn't fucking with that shit. But that's what made a lot of niggas, including me, stop fucking with that shit. But I'll tell you one time, and that's when I stopped smoking after niggas. Because I, I didn't start smoking weed. Like I always tell you, really smoking smoking until I was like in my like late 40s, my nigga. Hmm. And that was only because of my joint problems and shit, right? You know, got them football knees and right. shit like that, dog. I'm going to tell you, dog, I got a cousin back at the crib. That nigga do every motherfucking thing. He's one of them functional niggas. Do anything, and he might go up off of it for a year, right? This nigga, man, one time told me, nigga, hit the joint. And I hit the joint, man. I was on my way home. I just took one little puff. I didn't even know how to smoke weed back then, right? I was on the way home. My face just froze up. Man. <laughs> my whole face just froze up, and I was up this all fucking night. This nigga still the goddamn fool. All motherfucking night. I was just, I was riding home, and my face just got numb. I didn't get high. I didn't was you high. touching your face like this? Yeah, I was like this. Like, what the fuck is going on, man? I said, man, What's wrong head, with this thing? My shit just felt numb in the motherfucker. But I ain't never took no bump or no shit, my nigga. I was always scared of that shit. I'm scared of cocaine. I'm scared of heroin. I don't know these niggas that's on them pills now, my nigga. They got to be fearing for their life, my nigga. They putting fentanyl. I heard they putting fentanyl on weed now. I wouldn't touch that shit. I wouldn't touch that shit if you paid me. So, Lonzo, coming from where you came from and seeing what you seen, what's your, what's your take on, on music today? You know what, man? It's, uh, I think in some cases people don't appreciate the art because it's so easy to do now. Mm. It's the, the 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 bar is is it's dropped on the ground. Yeah, because I, I I come from some of that time of you know studio and right. two track tape two and, and all. Yeah, and yeah. And they'll buy some tape and shit. It's it's now, so simple to go in your now kitchen it's, right it's, now and and, right. and 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 put in a program and. It. You know, it's like it's like giving somebody some money. Too too young. They don't they don't appreciate the fucking money. You think it's gonna last forever? You know, when I got my first my my first. Big ass sack, but big ass bag. I thought I was gonna be rich forever, man. Mm-hmm. And music makes you think the same thing. You got you got celebrity. You on the internet. You all you blowing up in your hood. Blah blah blah. And you think and you young. You think this. Oh, this is easy. But at some point, that shit gonna flip. And what you doing today ain't gonna be shit tomorrow. Yeah, that's some real shit, man. And yeah, not a lot of artists don't take heed to that today. You see a lot of the flossiness and, like you said, the money and, you know, niggas is, you know, 
even in our time, we did what a lot of niggas is doing right now. Right. We traveled. Yeah. We were on planes and trains, automobiles, the expensive of this and homes and parties and women and all that shit. And like you said, eventually you're going to wake up one day and you're going to be 50 plus. Yeah. You get me? And niggas not going to want to listen to your music no more. And, you know, you're going to have to find other ways of, of income and to stay relevant or just to pay a motherfucking bill. You know what I'm saying? So it, it's crazy how artists today think of, like, this shit is going to last forever. Nah, dude, this shit, could, at some point in time, that limelight going to come, come off your ass. And believe me, you better be thinking of a plan now while you got it. That's one thing I learned about just being in the business, man, is that don't nothing last forever. You got to take it while you got it, while it's cracking, and kind of start pivoting towards some other shit. You know what I mean? You know what? I think of all the shit... I think what, what, what take, people take for granted more than anything is their motherfucking health. Oh, for sure. Oh, definitely. All the shit that all that money don't mean a motherfucking thing. Nigga, I, I, I ain't got no details on Jimmy, Jimmy Fox, but whatever it is, he came by his way out of it. Okay? Exactly. No disrespect to the brother at all. Mm-hmm. No disrespect by no, by no means. So all the money, all whatever you got, when you lose your motherfucking health, nigga, it's it's a whole nother world out there. I had prostate cancer. Okay? I'm a prostate cancer survivor. Man. So Thank God. Yes, I tell indeed. all my youngsters, all my home young homies coming up behind me, nigga, go get that go get that check, man. He's got mine, don't, it man. Ain't, and, and here's the cold part about it is. Don't let nobody clown you. It ain't it ain't about these fingers no more. They can check, oh, your, no, they can we, check your prostate. I, I've been there. They can check your prostate with just a or a, a blood test. Mm-hmm. Okay? But don't be afraid to go get your prostate check, man, because when you get symptoms, by the time you get symptoms, nigga, it's too late. Nigga, stop making arrangements. It's, 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 it's talking about a quiet killer. It's a quiet killer. That and high blood, that that high, and high blood, blood pressure, pressure, dog, I'm going to tell you, them little pills, dog, that make your head hurt, take them motherfuckers. I got a whole bunch of homies that don't take their medicine, dog. Yeah, I take my shit every day. I take mine every day, too. Every day. Man. I take one pill a day. But like you said... Motherfuckers don't value that shit. You can't. You take a motherfucking twenty five, thirty right now, Dude. drinking every day, partying, Dude. eating whatever they eat. You know, a lot of niggas don't. I would be surprised if you ask a lot of motherfuckers if they even have any kind of health care. You know what I'm saying? Any kind of health insurance. You get me, nigga? You got a three hundred thousand dollar car, nigga. What kind of health insurance you got? You you paying you paying for some Blue Cross or some shit? I bet you you not. That shit ain't that that shit ain't never heard that shit no lyrics, man. No, niggas ain't paying for a nigga go buy him a hundred thousand dollar Cuban right now, and I bet you can ask him, well, nigga, how much you paying every month on your health insurance? Nigga be like, huh? Like, a nigga was smart. He at least get him a girl with a job who got health insurance. Yeah, exactly. I'm gonna tell you what most of these niggas need to do, dog. I'm gonna tell you, I heard the little nigga from Mob Deep products because you know he had um what's the one disease he had um sickle cell yeah i heard he had that written in his recording contract that they would pay for health insurance for him no shit that was that would be smart for any major artist you get me who has ties to one of the big labels a motherfucker you finna put me on your health plan i tell you them people that's in that office that work there they got health insurance yeah. you could you technically on the i mean yeah if you're a regular employee <laughs> here's something that we're working on right now <coughs> excuse me curtis blow Myself, Kareth One, we trying to get rappers accepted into the union, man. They should, they should, be they should have been done it. Because I'm, I'm, I'm in the, um, I'm in the SAG right, right. after. 
you know, because I don't done a few movies and commercials and shit. Niggas don't. I'm no nigga. You, you big time, nigga. No, I, I don't know what you paying for. You get insurance through that. Right. When you work so many hours, and a lot of these people have more than worked enough hours, dog, to where they can get it, it at the very least will make your health insurance a lot cheaper. Yes. Fortunately, man, I got a wife that's in education, dog, so my insurance is bombing the motherfucker, so I never had to worry about that, right? And I remember my wife told me that when I first started making money, the first thing you want to do when you start making money, like, I don't need you going to work. You want to go teach the, the kindergartners, and, you know, you ain't got to do that no more. Well, how we gonna take care of your insurance? Yeah, this, got them good that. benefits. You got this, you got asthma, you got high blood pressure, you got all this, we need that. I said, you know what, you right. Yeah, go on to stay right. at that motherfucker, right. no you know shit. what I mean? I had, a, I had a buddy of mine, he kept a part-time job at FedEx just for the health insurance. Yeah, I mean, it's smart. Yeah. FedEx will pay, still pay you uh, your health insurance with a, with a part-time job. Yeah, motherfucker give you a quarter million dollar contract, but they don't want to give you that health insurance. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Let your motherfucking ass die off so we got your motherfucking residuals in your in your music yeah. and all that so for decades. As a grown-ass man is and, and an OG in this game, that's my responsibility to tell people put them, put them, and put them, put them up on the game about the real shit. Fuck yeah. the bullshit. Yeah. That's that real shit, man. All you niggas out there right now, even you females too, y'all making all this money, you know, get you some good health insurance, man. Get you some life insurance, nigga, in case you check yeah, out. Yeah. You ain't got to do a car wash right there. bury your ass. That's the biggest thing. I know we was talking about that earlier, and I ain't going to get in these brothers' business, but um, the brother Gunplay, I guess, had a GoFundMe up for his daughter that was in the situation, and the fans was mad because he saw him give Rick Ross a chain. And that's the thing, fans don't know the entertainment business. Gunplay probably got that chain. It was probably a deal. Somebody gave him some stuff. Hey, if you get Ross to go on Instagram with this motherfucker and say my name, right. I'll let you have a chain. He probably didn't have to pay for that chain, but we see situations to where brothers got to do GoFundMes when they die and stuff. Right. Don't do that to your family. Right. Life insurance, a $100,000 life insurance policy will cost you maybe $10, $15 a month, if that. Go get your life insurance. Definitely. Life insurance. If you smoke cigarettes, put them cigarettes down now while you're young. Go right. get you, your, you on that lean. Mm -hmm. You you sipping. You you just living life day. Because right now, man, being in this rap game is just dangerous, period. Period. You feel me? So get you some life insurance, man. You never know. You put out a record today and be shot tomorrow. Yeah. You get me? That That's just our work today. You know something? I, I'm going to say this. I'm going to drop some shit on y'all, man. That's going to be fucked up. People, people going to hate me for this shit, but I'm going to say it anyway. Do you know one of the biggest byproducts of this gangster rap shit? What's that? Organ harvesting. You know what organ harvesting is? Yeah, I'm familiar with it. Organ harvesting, when your ass die, they start taking your body parts. Oh, yeah, for sure. Breaking your ass down like a 57 Chevy at pick apart mm -hmm. and start selling your heart and your, your spleen and your eyeballs and all kind of shit, man. Mm -hmm. So when you, when, you, when you have this, when you got young... Healthy people dying at an early age, their body parts become valuable to some other people. Oh, yeah, they can kidneys, take kidneys, all that shit. Eyes, hearts, all that shit, man. All that shit gets recycled, man. Your ass get, get broke down I'm and get recycled. I'm going to the scary part about that. Your family members don't got to know because once they, once they get a hold of your ass at, after the funeral and shit, they could take your body That shit been gone before they hit the funeral. And, and break your shit down. Oh, definitely. If you in a casket... Your family don't know if your kidneys is Nigga, they don't know. And they could put some plastic eyes in your head, dog. Your eyes are closed. So all I'm saying is, as brothers out in these streets doing, making it, uh, this, this civil war we got going on, 
Think about, man, just, just think about that shit. That's all, dude. My, 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 my non-profit is called Hood Peace, man. I'm trying to put some peace in Compton, Doc. Yeah, we need it, man. We've been trying for years, man. It's just, you know, it's just, un it's just unfortunate. Do you realize how many people, how many youngsters grew up ain't never seen peace in the hood? I seen peace in the hood before, man. I'm old enough to be able to walk. Remember, I can walk through Compton and not get jacked, man. Walk from St. Albert's to Campanella Park. There used to be a dairy right there in the corner. Go to Campanella Park, hang the fuck out for a minute, and walk my ass down McKinley, bust left on 135th, take my ass, hop to, hop to Fister Vanguard, and go home. I, I could probably do that up until I was probably about nine years old okay. in Compton. After that, you, yeah, 10, 11, mind. 12, yeah. you started getting sweated at the bus stops, yeah. going to school. You know, niggas started jacking you for your starter jackets and, and all that type of shit. So... I mean, there was a time when I grew up as a kid in Compton to where I it probably was gangs like a motherfucker, right. but I didn't notice, you right. know. I rode my bike up and down the street or played with my cousins on the weekend or, you know, I didn't notice. I, I never noticed, like, damn, they gangbanging over here. Right. Niggas over here wearing blue, and the niggas over there wearing... I didn't notice that until I got probably about 10, 11, 12, and going to school one day, and niggas pulled up on us at the bus stop and like, nigga, where y'all from? And I'm looking like, what the fuck? What do you mean, where we from? And nigga, you know where you at? And why you got that blue jacket on? And won't you won't. And I'm like, oh, okay. And that's when I first noticed, these niggas gang banging out here, huh? But check this out, though. I, I, I fuck with Compton College a lot, right? Mm. If cats, somebody wants to get get their shit together and get educated, Compton College got so many goddamn programs, free books, free food, free transportation, all kind of shit. Mm. They do everything but wake your ass up and brush your motherfucking teeth. That's okay. the thing, man. It's a lot of ways out here, man, for brothers to better their circumstances. Exactly. But, but, but here, here's the problem. So many cats, either if they ain't got no car, afraid to get on the bus stop because they got to go through too many, too many different hoods. Mm -hmm. so your, your education is being stifled by us not being able to get along with each other. Alone. Nigga, let, give a nigga a pass to go to school at least, man. Yeah, it's got to be a truly motherfucker who's really about being educated because shit, niggas look down. Nigga look down at you for getting on the fucking bus. Come on, man. You get me? Nigga, you're on the bus. Oh, you broke-ass motherfucker. Yep. You riding yeah, the bus, motherfucker. Get you get me? Niggas look down on you for trying to create that effort. You get me? Like, you should be proud of a nigga. Nigga, I'm getting on the bus every day trying to go to school and better myself. Yep. You got niggas as soon as you get off the bus. You broke ass nigga, you ride the bus, motherfucker. We was looking, we like I used to tell niggas here. You go to New York, you get in the cab. That's yeah. a thing to do. Yeah, here. Yeah, you broke ass in the cab. Yeah. yeah, you ride cabs around, nigga. Yeah. Oh, y'all broke as a motherfucker. Nigga no, felt you, like some kind I fuck of with way. With a cab, you ain't broke. Calling the cab and shit. You fuck with a cab, you gotta have some money these days. I remember mean, back in the day, my mom called us a cab. You used to be like, what you calling us a cab for? Like that's a symbol of being broke like a motherfucker. Now niggas, niggas is hopping in Ubers and shit, though. Yeah. Hopping in the Uber. 
Hey, what can I tell you, man? I'm, I'm just, I had to drop that on on some folks, man, just on the strength. It's the it's the environment yeah. and, like, the people you around, and it's just what people expect and what people think of a motherfucker. <laughs> Instead of trying to congratulate a nigga for putting in that effort to change itself, you know, we come from an era where niggas look down on you for you know being what? a hood nigga for wanting to better itself. You feel me? Yeah, yeah. Um, we we all come from that era. Yeah, like as an OG, as a triple OG, I would like to see motherfuckers be more proud of how, having more cats walking the stage than walking the yard. Definitely. You know that's just a, a dream of mine as a triple OG, non-affiliated motherfucker to have more niggas walking walking across the stage, a Compton High, Dominguez College, whatever the case may be, than walking the walking the yards of a penitentiary. Lonzo, as a, as a cat that come from out of town, man, that kind of hit in California at its peak of gangbanging. Yeah. I ain't going to say at its peak. I came out to California in 88. Where you from again? Cleveland. Okay. Cleveland, Ohio. I came out here in 1988. Had plenty of invitations, man, to join gangs, man. My homeboy, Fonby, was trying to jump me in every other day, you know, but... The one thing I noticed, man, I said, man, that shit seemed like a no-win situation. I'm not fucking with that because I would notice when I would be wanting to go certain places, like, hey, man, let's go to this mall. I heard it's a mall. You know, I'm from out of town. I want to go there. Oh, we can't go there. I said, damn, so y'all segregate yourself? Right. I said, I don't want to be involved. And plus, I started meeting different cats from different neighborhoods and realized, well, man, if I fuck with them, I might not be able to fuck with the homie like I used to where I can't go over there. It was just seemed like it limited your opportunities right. too much. You know what I mean? You're, you're absolutely correct, Doc. It does limit your opportunities. And the one thing I couldn't understand is like I said, man, okay, y'all supposed to be from the same place, but it seemed like this nigga more scandalous. The nigga that's from your neighborhood is more scandalous than the nigga that's that your you so-called enemy. Yes, you know sir. what I'm saying? So it was just a no-win situation for, for, for me. Yeah, but we, we didn't see it like that, though, which was unfortunate. We thought it was everything. Well, we thought gangbanging and dope sledding and claiming the hood was we got the everything. Nowadays. We got the sack nowadays. Shit, I couldn't even tell you, you know man. I couldn't even tell you. I got a question for you. Who do you think makes the, made the most money in in the dope era? Shoot, according to Snowfall, it was the federal government. Yeah, not the nigga, not us. Nah, the Koreans. Yeah. Koreans came into our community during the dope era and took over everything black. You can't buy a pair of tennis shoes, a bottle of Hennessy, a piece of chicken without giving it to somebody. That don't know. Oh, you know yet. what? I'm gonna tell you this though. I used to talk to the old, uh, old black dude that owned a um, liquor store, Jay's Liquor, over on Western. Okay. He did now, I believe, but he told me he said, "Man, at one time, all these liquor stores, all of them, black owned, all of them." After the after the '65 riots, all the Jewish community moved out of the hood. Black folks bought all them businesses, and when the crack came in, everybody ran out of here. Then the Koreans took over. I ain't mad at him, but I'm just saying that's how that's how the, the economics change in the hood. And uh, the swap meets came in the '80s also. Mm-hmm. You ain't seen you ain't seen the brother in the swap meet doing nothing, but maybe helping somebody from time to time. You had one brother in the bottom of the swap meet, the bottom of the Long Beach, I mean, Compton swap meet at the bottom doing t-shirts and uh and airbrushing. Airbrushing, shit. yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody else was non-black, and brothers would would sell dope. Run from the police and kill each other all night and all day to go to the sloths and swap meet to buy them jeans, some tennis shoes, them speakers, and amps, whatever the case may be. And them thin ass links. Thin ass motherfucking sisters. Thin ass Cubans. With the Turkish, okay. nigga. Get you a Turkish. Whatever you want for your hood, kid, they make sure you had it. 
Get you a fake Gucci. Gucci. Was seventy five dollars back then. Nigga, the day. I ball it, nigga. Thought I was ball the shit. Ball it, nigga. Thought with I was the, the shit. Nigga with the hood on the belt buckle, nigga. I put I Come put on. my hood on there with the little belt buckles with the letters, nigga, and and with the Turkish earring, nigga, with the rope, nigga, and the bracelet, with the fake Gucci wallet, nigga. They looking hard like a motherfucker. Looking hard like a motherfucker, and my motherfucking. Uh, gap cord with my corduroids, nigga. My T-shirt with my fake ass Gucci belt on, nigga. Looking hard, nigga. Man, that's all I wanted, man. With some Lacoste shoes, niggas <laughs> was crazy a as a motherfucker. Nigga, a link, like you said, nigga, gonna sell it dope all night. I was on. all night, getting blasted on, running from five o, and then go like he said, nigga, take his money right up to the swap meet, nigga. Give me some motherfucker. They had to shoot nobody. They had. They, they give had me some motherfucker. Not, not your dirty money just got clean thanks to them, but you can't benefit from it. No, I ain't mad at them. I'm just saying. They like give it here, nigga. It's observation, baby. That's all. Hey, what you, what you, what you, what you ain't got? No hate five, you got about five hundred dollars worth of crack money right there. They like give it right here, nigga. Take these goods. Take these goods, nigga. I'm getting. Speaking of the crack era, did, did you watch? Did you fuck with Snowfall? In yeah, we were fucking episode. How, how accurate was that to you? Nah. You know, it it had its point, it had its times, but it was accurate, like homegirl being being turned out and cleaning up. I've seen that happen many a time. She was out there blowing, knocking off everything, and then all of a sudden she uh, get cleaned up. I remember um, a lot of the cats from the neighborhood would blow up, and they start test, test, uh, smoking their own shit and fall right the fuck back down. <clears throat> I remember the fucking, that, that shit was based on uh, Nickerson Gardens, that motherfucker always been on fire, okay? That motherfucker always been on fire. Um, one or two, Rick Ross, I mean, uh, an actual Freeway Rick character, I know Freeway. Mm-hmm. And he was the most laid-back guy, like Franklin to a certain degree. Um, I didn't know him at that time when he was balling out of control. I heard his name, but I think a, a few things they left out, like when he, reason why they called him Freeway, was because he had a big ass apartment by the freeway, mm-hmm. and right by the fucking one ten, he turned the whole apartment building into his goddamn spot. And he was a tennis player. He wasn't even a the, even even in his documentary, the feds say they saw the guy almost every day walking past with tennis rackets. Didn't pay him no attention. He didn't look like a dope dealer. Okay, um, the 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 the, the, uh, the feds being involved in that shit. That shit's documented. The guy who told on the feds how he died, shot himself, committed suicide by shooting himself in the head two times, documented. Yeah, okay. the, 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 the news reporter. Yeah. They said this motherfucker committed suicide by shot himself in the head twice. Twice. This <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> you, you shoot yourself in the head, my nigga. That's over with. Like, like, that nigga said that nigga did what it is. I missed. God damn it, do it again. It didn't work. Oh, fuck it. Click, click, bop. One more. Well, even if you happen to survive that first shot, you're going to be in such motherfucking disarray. Come on, man. You're going to be up in that motherfucker like this. That Come nigga on. said, that nigga woke up and was like, oh, it didn't work. I missed. Work. God oh, damn it. I got to do it again. Wow. So, I mean, some shit, you know, when you, when you know the real story, when you remember living that shit the first time, you can see some of the similarities. But, of course... In any any movie project, like just like straight out of Compton, they go always embellish. They have they call it embellishment or they call it uh, creative license. Right. Long as they don't, long as they don't change the story too much. If they like straight out of Compton, if they made me gay or something like that, that wasn't gonna fly. 
but it can make me out to be an asshole because I can't be an asshole. Right. You would have made some money for sure because you could have sued the I shit out there. Because see, one thing that people don't know about that, that's what I tell people with these podcasts, y'all better be careful because you could sue the shit out of a motherfucker. Mm-hmm. If a motherfucker going there lying about you, dog, right. you because this is a couple of niggas, my attorney don't hit me like, man, we you want to go out? I'm like, I ain't tripping like that, but. Let's give them shit. I need some money. Hell yeah. I thought Let's get them. Some of these motherfuckers ain't worth suing because you ain't going to get shit. You gonna spend yeah, are you going to get an exercise of your attorney? Go put a lien on their shit. You know what I mean? It's just too much, man. But, you know, Lionel, we don't been up here for a minute, man. Where can the people go find you at, dog? Man, they can find me tonight in a few minutes, probably, if we don't get back in time, on uh, NWA Trades with Lonzo. Now, I got a new thing I'm doing now. If you want to be on my personal contact list, text me at 424-363-8141 in the message put Lonzo. And you got to be locked in. Man, you on that? You on that new technology shit, huh? Text Lonzo, and you got me locked in, baby. That's cracking. Yes, sir. My website, LonzoWilliams.com. Um, shit, my man Dusty over the corner with me, rolling with me right now. Dusty, <laughs> Dusty Vision. Um, he on YouTube too. Dusty Vision. Yes. And also my other podcast. My boy, uh, Dr. Dre from UNTB Raps, mm-hmm. Legendary Connects, every Friday. Okay, that's, that's cracking. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. You know what? I don't, I don't, that's pretty dope. I don't saw that shit before. Yeah, that's cracking. Yeah, yeah. We got the East Coast Connection. East Coast, West Coast, old school connection. So we talk about all kind of shit from different perspectives based on today and also the, the West Coast, East Coast perspective. And we both got different ways of looking at shit. You know, when you're looking at, we looking at, in February, sunshine and shit. That nigga, he in six feet of snow. So right. shit that he see, what we see is two different worlds. Yeah, for real, for real, man. But well, we appreciate you coming on the show, though. Definitely, definitely. We'll definitely go have you back again, man. That got to be able to come out and hang out with y'all for the day, man. Yeah. For sure, man. And thanks, y'all, the fans, for tuning in, man, to another episode of Gangsta Chronicles Podcast, man. Make sure y'all leave a comment, man. You know, if you're on the Apple Podcast, man, leave a comment. The rating, man, go on and hit us up with that five stars, man, or whatever you want to. Three stars, two stars, whatever on your mind. Fuck it, give us one star, shit. If that's what you you choose. Just do it, and we gone. Peace. Yeah. Nose will grow like Pinocchio. We gon' tell you the truth and nothing but the truth. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest 
to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star starting May 15th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.